Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Hey, David. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Hey, great. How are you? I'm doing well. We are back for another episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. Uh, yes. And, hello, everyone. Yes. Hello. And tonight we are finally going to get to issue number one. Yes. So for folks that have been listening to the podcast in order of the episodes, um, you, you know, uh, just a reminder that we started the first episode with issue number two, and then we went into the Final Quest special, which took us four episodes to get through. Yes. Um, well, it was so, a big one. It was a big one. And so tonight we're finally going to get to issue number one. And then after that, we'll get to issue number three. And we're mm -hmm. hoping to get through these, you know, these two issues that we haven't covered yet before issue number four comes out at the end of July. So, that would be um, great. And I'm saying that now so everybody can hear, so um, you can kind of hold us to it, and <laughs> it'll yeah. be a little extra added motivation for us to actually do it. So, uh oh, what's the punishment if we don't? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not I'm even going to plant. Find out. Yeah, I'm not going to plant any seeds in anyone's brain, yeah. but uh, we'll just do our before, best. Just before we begin, David, I want to say that my ears hear with joy, and my mouth speaks with joy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. just thought of that today. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, well, well, with that in mind, that actually is a is a great segue to what I wanted to kick us off with, and that is to say a huge thank you to everybody that has been so gracious as to leave comments both on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Um, it's really, really awesome to hear your feedback. And the thing that I'm particularly just kind of blown away by is the multiple people that have commented um, how much they're enjoying the podcast precisely because they actually don't have friends who read ElfQuest. And so they really don't have anybody else to talk to about it and share their own excitement and joy and, and all of that good stuff that goes along with reading an issue of ElfQuest and that the podcast has kind of filled that void a little bit for them. And I mean, you guys, that is like the biggest compliment that you could have given us. I mean, it's just the fact that we, um, we can help connect everybody with this podcast is just, uh, it's just awesome. So well, that was I, our goal from the, from the outset, right? I mean, obviously you and I just wanted to talk about ElfQuest because we right. love it so much, but also we wanted to give something back to the fan community. Um, and, and try to include everybody in sort of a, a bit of fandom um, with this podcast. So it's great to hear that kind of feedback. I think it was Tavi said on the forum, you mentioned um, iTunes and SoundCloud, but also on the forums on Facebook and on ElfQuest.com, um, there's been a lot of uh, comments about our podcast. Um, and I think it was Tavi said it was like sitting around a table with a bunch of your friends having beers That's and right. just <laughs> talking about ElfQuest. So yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah, and, and I can definitely relate to that because um, I don't really have a lot of friends that are into ElfQuest as Me much neither. as I am. I, of course, like 
conscripted my sisters and some of my really close friends to read ElfQuest. And so they, they, you know, they're, they're fans, but not to the crazy level that I am. And most of the people that are listening to this podcast are. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it, it, it's, it's pretty cool. And of course the online communities help fill that void, Definitely. but there's something about hearing people's voices. I think that, um, just make it a little bit different. Definitely. It's a bit more personalized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so on that note, actually, I, I think maybe we should uh, discuss some of the comments and um, uh, feedback we've gotten on the different forums. Yep. Do you think? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, uh, okay, first of all, let's look at who we've had here. Um, Raving, I hope I'm saying that right, on SoundCloud, uh, just made a comment recently on episode four, and he or she... Sorry, I don't know what your gender is, but um, was uh, made a comment about uh, we were discussing the wave dancers and where they were situated exactly on the world of two moons or a book right. as it's now called. Um, and uh, Raving made the point that uh, during the Forever Green storyline, Yoon or Yun Yoon Yun. I think it's another Yun. one. Great, <laughs> Yun. Okay. I, um, Ryan, I just think I, I think we should assume that you're mispronouncing every single. Exactly, name. <laughs> I think I think that's a safe a safe bet. I th actually think it's point. kind of a it's a little bit between that. I think it's not quite Yun or not quite Yoon, because um, I've heard Wendy say it. And you're just trying to make me feel better. Yun, Yun, okay, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, close enough. Um, but that she encountered a wave dancer, and so that was in the Forever Green, which is on the continent that uh, the original Holt is on, or. The original Holt is on the northern part of that continent, but they're connected by the world spine. Mount, right. Yep. Right. Um, and so Raving was saying that the wave dancers were on the same continent as the Forever Green. Um, but my understanding was that they were in a place called Crest Point. And when you look at the map that came out as one of the centerfolds uh, yes. back in the 90s, Crest Point is listed as the southernmost archipelago on the continent of Jundland, which right. is um, where Kings of the Broken Wheel took place and also where Ember's tribe is now living. Yep. Um, so maybe we can have Wendy and or Richard uh, clear that up for us, but mm, <laughs> I'm going with Jundland. So yeah. raving, the, uh, the competition is on. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think that that is conflicting information because no? wave dancers can breathe water and they can mm -hmm. live underwater. So if if a few stray wave dancers ended up on another continent across the ocean or the vast deep sea, that wouldn't be anything too strange. Well, exactly. Uh, That's so. but exactly. But the wave dancers as a tribe, though, I think, are living on the continent of Jundland or yeah and i think right? i think if you if you look at even just the final quest um i think it's in the special when the when the 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 pod with skywise and lita kind of goes from where the wave dancers are over back to um to the the remains of the sun village i think there's a line in there that says you know from full night to almost dawn kind of indicating that they're they're kind of an ocean apart um, exactly you know, sort of time difference um is, is kind of captured there. So right. I think that's evidence that, uh, that, you know, the wave dancers are on Jundsland and mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, Sars end is over on ice Holt is actually the name of that continent. Yes, that's right. And, yeah. and you're right. Maybe it was just, uh, an, a lone wave dancer that somehow ended up in the forever green. Right. Point, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not sure how much of 
the Forever Green story arcs are actually going to be canon, canon, and and kind of recognized. I mean, I think Wendy and Richard are have have been kind of genius in the final quest so far in kind of giving nods to some of the events that happened in all of these many storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Winkin saying, oh, wait, I know about the wave dancers. I know about the, the water elves without giving gory details that would confirm or deny any specific encounter or event. Right. Um, and whether or not they'll we'll ever get more of an explanation or a, a black and white statement. Yes, this is canon. Who knows? But I think it's kind of neat that they're that they're 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 recognizing that there's stuff there, but um, without holding themselves, holding their own feet to the fire. Exactly. So just as storytellers, I think that's a wise move. I think so, too. I think yeah. that's a very smart move. Yep. Um, all right. Well, time will tell. Maybe, uh, like I said, Wendy or Richard can kind of confirm <laughs> that for us. Um, so moving on, uh, who else did we have? We had uh, Wolfbike on the forum on mm-hmm. the on ElfQuest.com. Uh, she was commenting on, uh, it was a few episodes ago when we were talking about elf spirits and how they were um, drawn to the palace after the uh, the physical body dies, and we were kind of searching for the correct term to describe what that um, right h- how that works exactly, and she came up with uh, the perfect word I think, which is that they're tethered to it. Yeah, I like that uh, a lot, and I commented on on the the forum. Yeah, I think that kind of captures it. You know, they're not necessarily trapped inside of it, but no. there's some connection, and as we've seen. The, you know that the sort of the notion that a lot of fans assumed way back in the original quest when Timane says that the spirits are bound to the time in the world in which the palace exists that it meant that they were kind of bound inside the physical walls but that that clearly isn't the case based on you know Winnowill and uh, I have a feeling we're gonna see a lot more elf spirits in the final quest just based on some of the hints that have been put into the story here so mm-hmm. um, you know uh, notably um, well, I guess we'll, we'll we'll talk about it when. Um, oh no, actually, that happens in issue two, so we did already talk about it. I don't want to give spoilers away, but since right. we're out of order, Krim saying to to Pike that there's more to going back to the palace than sort of meets the eye. So exactly. there's something up um, that we haven't learned yet about mm-hmm. that, but I have a feeling we're going to find out probably within the next couple issues. But we'll exactly. uh, we'll have to wait and see patiently. Yeah. Well, there's that uh, the preview for issue number five that came out um, just recently, and spoiler alert. In case anybody doesn't want to hear this, uh, mute your iPod or whatever you're listening to. But um, uh, the synopsis uh, says that the elf, the realm of elf spirits, will be involved um, right. in that yeah. issue, um, and that something about revelation, a, a new revelation, or something, uh, depending on how the story takes its course uh, with what happens to Ember. Um, that somehow there might be a revelation. I, I'm assuming that might have something to do with the spirit realm. Yeah, yeah. Elves, I mean, so. I uh, who who knows until the issue comes out. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I saw that and um, yeah. it's definitely got my wheels turning. Definitely, me too. Yeah. Um, okay, who else? Uh, Redhead Ember on the forum as well. She made a point about Yurek uh, and Vol. Um, you were mentioning that uh, Yurek was. Uh, He's pictured in one of Vol's flashbacks when yes. he's describing how uh, some of his followers left him. And um, I was surprised because I didn't realize that that was who it was. Um, and then Redhead Ember on the forum uh, pointed out that it's specifically mentioned that it is him 
scene in that flashback from book three, I think it was. Right. Um, it's confirmed in the character bio on the website. So I don't know how official that is or not. Well, I can I can shed some light onto that. Okay. <laughs> so here's <laughs> here's here's a little um, since you brought it up, yes. I will um, sort of full disclosure that I am actually helping to write those character profiles. Yeah. And I actually wrote the character profile for Yurik. Oh, okay. So okay. so <laughs> so this just um, comes right back to our conversation last yeah. episode. Yeah. Right. So I, I so so. What I will say about this is that obviously, you know, Richard is is you know, sort of editor of the website, and so um, when I shared that profile with him, you know, he, his point of view and Wendy's too, I think, is that the comics that Wendy and Richard put out are canon. Um, things like the website profiles are secondary to what happens in the story, and they reserve the right um, to go take the story where they want it and not be shackled by, you know, what, what volunteer fans like myself that are involved with, with the story and with, with Wendy and Richard um, on, on some level. And they have trust that we're going to write, you know, good profiles, um, you know, that they're not going to be shackled by that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I just, I will say that uh, that is mostly my interpretation of, of what I am seeing in those panels. And, Wendy did sort of comment uh, on it that um, on Facebook several months ago, which is why I felt comfortable putting it in there, that um, she did look at that at when she was designing the character design for Yorick for the Lovemates calendar. Oh, really? Um, and so I, when I was writing that profile, when I, you know, for all these profiles, it sort of was immersing myself in the backstory and reading everything and refreshing my memory about each of the characters that I was writing about. So Yorick, we mostly only know about from the Journey to Sorrow's End novelization of the, you know, the first five issues of the original quest. Yeah. And so I reread that and then kind of, plugging in a little bit with the that Facebook conversation about the character design being based on the that that illustration in book three um, I kind of connected the dots a little bit and maybe mm -hmm. wove a little bit more there so that um, you know right now it has been greenlit by Wendy and Richard but nothing in the profiles should be taken as absolute until you actually see it in the story or okay. verbalized by Wendy and Richard right okay yeah. that makes sense. but with that said mm -hmm. uh, I, I would go with it because, like I said, R uh, Richard has checked off on it, and he's the end-all, be-all when it comes to this stuff. Sure, and you're also uh, basically the ElfQuest um, expert, so <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll defer to your expertise on that issue. No, I I, I did laugh when um, when Redhead Ember commented on that because I was like, well, yeah, but I kind of was the one that wrote it. So. <laughs> but it's great to see that people are actually reading the profiles it is and. Great. Uh, the, we're planning on doing a little bit of a, of a, you know, a launch at some point where there's a few more back end things that need to happen um, with the website that Rob Esquiza is working on, um, connected to the forums and the character profiles. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to say too much more about that, but um, but that's why we haven't really shouted from the rooftops that the character profiles have been updated, oh, okay. and it's sort of a work in progress. There's so many sure. damn elves. And yeah. other characters that yeah. um, it's been many months that um, that we've been working on rewriting and adding uh, character profiles for characters that were not represented. Um, and there's so many more to go. But yeah. we've got all the major characters and all the characters that I think are relevant to the final quest up there. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you know, 99 percent, 99.9 percent is pretty strictly 
straight out of the canon stories. There's a couple where, like Yorick, where there's a little bit of conjecture. extra maybe interpretation and conjecture that are in there, but mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, there you know there, there there shouldn't be any major surprises or revelations in them. But read them, and you might pick up some things that you forgot about or maybe never noticed. And you know we really try to be thorough in in putting together these profiles. Now, with that said, yes. One of the things that we were really careful about was not to just rehash events of the story for each character. What we really wanted to do was capture the essence of the character and for the reader to walk away after reading those profiles with a sense of who that character is, not everything that they have ever done. Every little detail, sure. Right, because what we want is for people to go read the story. Of course. And something new in the profiles is that we we have hyperlinked to the online comics for specific events. So the idea there is not to, you know, again, give a play by play, which would be kind of boring, honestly, and kind of redundant, but to say, you know, X character has a fiery temper and then link to an instance where that character is demonstrating their fiery character. And hopefully we'll get people pulled back into the story that way too. That's a great idea. Yeah. I'm really pleased that you guys have updated them. So it's yourself, Richard and Rob, is that right? Yes, and and Heather as well. Rob's oh, and Heather wife. too. Yep, yep. So, yeah. Crim and Pike. Exactly, Crim yeah. and Pike, mm. <laughs> and little old me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I I have looked through uh, a bunch of them, and it's it's just fantastic that they're finally being updated because for the longest time they were pretty um, static as far as yeah uh, the story had advanced, but the character bios hadn't yep. been updated to any degree. So it's it's wonderful to see them being updated now. Yeah, yeah, they were. Resource. They were about 15 years out of date, Definitely. Uh, best, best I could tell. So a lot yeah. of stuff has happened in 15 years. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely exciting. And I'm you know, honored and flattered that uh, I got to be part of that project. So Thank you for doing that. Yeah. Well, thanks to, to Richard and, uh, and Wendy for letting me. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so. so just a couple more things, uh, comments from people. Uh, Arcady Sum uh, on SoundCloud. Um, we were wondering at one point why Cavi's spirit wasn't in the palace, and Arcady made the comment that if she has even a drop of wolf blood in her, Cavi um, wouldn't necessarily be tethered to the palace, that she could potentially go wherever she wants, just like the wolf riders. Right. Um, and I think I just kind of jumped into spoiler territory with that, uh, because... Well, you know what? It was 2006, I think. So I think we're pretty clear as far as avoiding spoiler territory with that one. But Wendy on the forum in 2006 in Ask Elf Mom mentioned that Cavi was dead. Um, So I don't think I'm spoiling that for anybody. I hope I'm not. No, you're not. And um, I mean, that has been out there since then. And in this issue we get further confirmation that that's the case. And we'll talk about that. Right. Um, you know, so I don't think you're spoiling anything. Um, okay. So yeah. So. Um, but it, it is a really good point though, right? Um, if she has even a drop of wolf blood in her, then she is a creature of the world of two moons. So right. Right. she wouldn't necessarily be um, uh, drawn to the palace uh, the way the immortals would be. She would be uh, like a wolf rider. She right. could go where she chose. So that, that does make sense. Yeah. Um, well, and it remains to be seen if she even has that drop of wolf blood or not. I, don't, right. I mean, I don't know that that's ever been 
it's never actually confirmed or no, not. So, no, yeah. One way or the other. Uh, all we know is that she was in a magical pool at one point, and it seems like the wolf blood was le- leached out of her. Um, right. But who knows? Maybe not all of it was. Maybe there's still a little bit left. Uh, right. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, she certainly, based on the events of Final Quest One, mm-hmm. we know that she she seemingly outlived thousands and thousands of years and outlived most other uh, wolf riders that we would know about just based yeah. on the the fact that you know Winkin encountered her mm-hmm. um, sometime you know during the long sleep of the the wolf riders. So I, I suppose that could have been earlier in the the long sleep, um, but I have a feeling it was it was. A little bit more. Actually, I'll, I, I take it back because if you look at the humans that actually shoot Tildak down, mm-hmm. they are definitely dressed in kind of you know medieval era clothing. Definitely. So when the Wolf Riders originally went to sleep, the world was still very much um, you know the human cultures were still very much right. kind of Paleolithic okay. hunter gatherer. Yeah, exactly. So right. um, so yeah, I think that that answers that that little detail right there. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Uh, good point. Um, all right. Uh, Lunacat on the forum also uh, made the point that uh, it was Skywise's stray thought that misdirected the pod, not Lita's. Uh, right. We were saying it was Lita that kind of threw it off, but no, yeah. um, Skywise was piloting it. It was Lita's suggestion. Uh, suggestion that threw Skywise off. Yes. Yeah. So see, there's just evidence that there are lots of other fans out there that are just as um, sharp-eyed and geeky as we are when it comes Definitely. to this stuff. <laughs> yes, we're not the only ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and one last thing I just wanted to uh, say to Ravienne and Tavy. Um, yes, I guess I do have a Canadian accent. I never realized <laughs> it, but <laughs> thank you for noticing. Uh, it's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I never considered that I had one. It's always other people from other nationalities that have accents, right? You yeah, never really right. think that you have an accent, but um, yeah, I guess. Well, they every, do, eh? every, yeah, everybody has an accent, so, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's well, all relative, right? I'm glad they like it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to be talking a lot, so, yeah. Yeah, so, so folks have to so just enjoy. get used to it, That's right? right. <laughs> I think, you know, when you have an accent, you just have to own it, so. That's right. Or a, a discernible um, or identifiable accent. So, um, so just yeah. Let me know if I say a too much. Like, I do <laughs> I, say it. I, I was going to say I haven't heard you say a at all really? until you just said it in jokingly. So, oh. yeah. So you're you're good there. Well, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, okay. um, I am. Oh, anything else you wanted to say about comments? Uh, no comments are. I'm. Yeah, they they were excellent comments. Um, I'm just glad that everybody's uh, getting involved and and yep. uh, we're we're having this back and forth with the other fans. I'm, I'm that's right. Happy about that. Yeah. So please keep keep them coming in. Keep your comments, your questions, everything. Absolutely. And you might get mentioned on air. Yes. <laughs> so um, my before we dive into the events, uh, I, I also had something that is sort of comment related. Um, on, on the social forums, and that is that lots of folks have been posting, mostly on Facebook, but also on the the ElfQuest forums on ElfQuest.com. You know, they're in their excitement. You know, we're all like, "Oh gosh, I wish that they would make ElfQuest action figures or more calendars." Or somebody today posted these really cool Game of Thrones and Thundercats coasters yeah. onto the Facebook page, and they are undoubtedly really cool. Very cool. Um, but I've noticed that Wendy and Richard have tried to, when when people post those things, remind people that Dark Horse is 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 sort of in charge of you know products and publishing 
when it comes to ElfQuest now. They've you know sort of given they they have that license right now. So Dark Horse is the one who needs to be seeing and hearing those comments. Mm-hmm. And Dark Horse is not hanging out on the ElfQuest fan Facebook page, and they're not probably reading the forums at least not regularly. So. I just want to remind folks uh, of that call from Wendy and Richard that if you guys want to see more ElfQuest stuff beyond the comics uh, or even more comics, um, you got to let Dark Horse know directly. Yes. And so if you go onto the ElfQuest forums, there is actually a whole entire thread that I wrote called Tell Dark Horse What EQ Products You Want. And in it, I have linked to the Dark Horse website to the Dark Horse Twitter account, to the Dark Horse Facebook page, to the Dark Horse Google Plus page. And then, of course, you can email them directly. So get a pen, everybody, at elfquest at darkhorse.com. That's the direct email. Um, and uh, I was going to save this for the end, but I might as well say it now since it's the same email address. Mm-hmm. That's also where you can send your comments about the issues, and you might actually get into the letters pages. And that's something else that has conversation that has gone on on on, on Facebook and on the, the forums. And that is that Richard has has noted that not no one's really writing into Dark Horse. And it might be that letter pages are just sort of a thing of the past because we do have these online social forums to write our thoughts and comments. But if you're interested in being published in an ElfQuest issue, then go ahead and send your your comments. And they could just be the very same comments that you posted to Facebook or to the forum and just send them to ElfQuest at DarkHorse.com and you might actually get in the issue because if people aren't writing about the current issue, then the letter pages might go away. And that might not yeah. be a big deal. It might just be the evolution of things. But mm-hmm. uh, there's something kind of nostalgically nice about the letter pages, I think. Definitely. So I um, agree. I think yeah. so too. Yeah. And you know what? I'm guilty of that. I haven't written in yet and I keep meaning to do it because I would love to have a letter published in an ElfQuest issue. So yeah. I've got to, go, got to get on that. So thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I, I, I am living proof that it's very easy because I actually have a letter that was printed in issue number one um, in response to the Final Quest special. So if you if you read the letters page, pages, you can see my comments. And it was specifically about um, co- complimenting Sonny on his color job on the, mm-hmm. um, on the, uh, actually, wait, now, wait, I take it back. Am I in this issue? No, I'm in issue number two. Yes. Because I didn't, I wrote it about issue number one. But right. point remains that if you write something it's very easy to send it into Dark Horse. And I, in fact, wrote my letter, and I'm using air quotes here, mm-hmm. simply as a Facebook comment. And mm-hmm. then I thought to myself, okay, I think Dark Horse should, should this, this would be something they would be interested in seeing. And I really wanted to give Sonny props for the great work that he was doing. And so I just, I just emailed it. Literally, I copied and pasted it out of my, the Facebook comment and emailed it into Dark Horse. And they printed it. So That's awesome. If I can do it, you can do it. Definitely. I'm just wondering what I would write in because I pretty much say everything about ElfQuest in this podcast. <laughs> Maybe I could just put a note in there as my letter. It's just be like, uh, yeah, listen to the uh, the podcast. Hey, you know so what? That's Ryan not a bad talks. idea. Yeah. That's not a bad idea because if nothing else, the fact that a podcast dedicated to ElfQuest exists mm-hmm. specifically about the final quest is probably something that would be impressive to the people at Dark Horse, you know, in terms of being impressed with ElfQuest and its potential for, um, you know, for sales and for for new products in in the fandom, in us, um, you know, you and I and all the listeners out there. So that's not a bad idea. Maybe we should both do that. Yeah, that actually okay. would be a good idea. All right. Well, there's um, our homework. Yes. There's the, it's everyone's homework. Everybody. Write a letter yeah. to Dark Horse or comment right, right, on their right. Twitter page 
or their Facebook page or their Google Plus page. It's all right there for you to do. Yes, and it's uh, all of the emails and websites are also on our pages on uh, SoundCloud. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I have them all go. listed in there too. Um, Excellent. Just an interesting note here. I was looking at our stats recently. I don't know uh -huh. if you've seen them yet too, but I was just looking at our top countries for downloads and, and listens on uh -huh. SoundCloud. Yeah, it's really interesting because I didn't realize, well, number one is the United States, which isn't too surprising. I kind of expected that. Number two was Canada and three was Germany. So those are the top three countries for uh, listening to the podcast. Awesome. And then we've got, we've got Japan in there, Australia, Denmark, Norway. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. You know, that, it's just global. a testament yeah, to the power of ElfQuest and how you know, so many different people from different parts of the world and cultures and backgrounds and ages find something to relate to in it. And it's, 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 it's just a phenomenal thing. I'm wondering where the other Canadian fans are, though. I've got to get in touch with these people. Like, who are they? Where, <laughs> where are you guys? Get in touch right, with be, me. Be careful what you wish for. People can find you on Facebook. You That's might get true. inundated yeah. now. <laughs> yes, good point. Um, so. All right, uh, next thing, I just wanted to give a shout-out, a huge thank you to my friend Thomas Logue, who has been so helpful uh, and giving with his time, um, with assisting me with the technical side of things, uh, as far as the podcast is concerned. Um, Thomas runs his own podcast. Uh, you guys should check it out. It's called the Comic Relief Podcast, and they have an ElfQuest episode in there. It's great. Um, yeah. that's actually how I got in touch with Thomas because I listened to it and then I emailed him or no, I, I messaged him on Facebook, but he's been so helpful, uh, as far as the, the technical side of things. Um, I'm a newbie at this, so he's been great. Um, really, really helpful. So thanks Thomas. Really appreciate it. And I'm going to put a, um, he linked our podcast on the comic relief podcast facebook page he linked to our podcast awesome so i am going to do the same and i'll put a link for um the comic relief podcast on soundcloud as well very cool yeah yeah and i and i'll i'll second that because i am i'm here to talk elf quest and so uh, you know for i've mentioned this before for everybody out there but ryan is our producer he does all of the work to edit this thing together and do the you know the intro music and all that stuff and um it sounds like um thomas has been very in, uh, in influential and uh, helpful in helping to get all that done and get ryan sort of up to the expert level that he is now so definitely yeah thomas yeah. is the man he's awesome thank you thomas awesome. yeah <laughs> all um, right so hmm. are we ready to dive in uh, okay, before we get to issue number one, though, I think I mentioned to you, we forgot to do something in the last episode for the special. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Yep. We forgot to do our likes and dislikes, so I think we should just do that really quickly and get that out of the way. Yep. Um, yeah, because I'd like to continue doing that for each episode. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I think that's good. And that actually goes back to um, one of the comments. I think it was, was it Wolf Bites? Is that, am I getting bike? that right? Bike? Wolf Bike, yeah. Mm -hmm, bike, yes. Mm -hmm, who, yes. Who you know got a little fired up about some of our yeah. our kind of criticisms of of or our our specifically about the issue of Ember's decision to give herself up to the Junsmen, mm -hmm. um, and we were just saying that we didn't really get it, and she got uh, I think a little miffed because she was like you know what whatever it's Wendy and Richard's story they can tell it how they like and so um, I, I, I I responded to to that just to say like absolutely I mean Brian and I both 
totally are on board with that. But we also feel like to have a genuine conversation and to honestly make a good podcast, we, you know, we want to be frank and honest. And if we, something confused us or it rubbed us the wrong way, we want to say it. We both love ElfQuest. So it's not like we're, we're here to give unconstructive criticisms or anything like that. But, Mm. you know, I mean, I, I, and I think Wendy and Richard appreciate hearing well thought out and constructive comments you know, both pro and con about the story, um, sure. you know, so I mean, Wendy herself responded to that particular conversation and shed a little bit of light on it, which we discussed in the um, in the next episode an issue in episode number two. So I, I think that right there is a great example of how, you know, just sharing some of these thoughts can kind of lead to greater understanding, because, of course, as soon as she explained a little bit more of what Ember's thought process was. Both, both of us were like, oh, duh, you know, yeah, so exactly. um so uh, I forget how we even got started on that tangent, but um, uh, but yeah, we were just talking about likes and dislikes. Oh right, 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 the likes yeah. and dislikes. So yeah. so yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a good thing to do. To I mean, they're going to come out in the course of the normal conversation, but I like kind of you know sort of putting a, a specific section in the podcast just to sort of specifically say kind of the top thing that you loved and the top thing that you didn't love. Right, I agree. I think we should uh, we should strive to do that with each yeah. episode. Um, so, so um, what did you love and what did you not love? Okay, well, <laughs> my my loved part of the special was the um, segment where Winkin relates a story of uh, where he joined up with Tildak yep. and Cavi and they were searching for Winnowill and then Tildak got killed. I just thought it was a fantastic uh, storytelling technique, first of all. I love how um, Wendy and Richard have used that before in the stories. Uh, they did that with Rayek, too. Remember when... Um, uh, the Wolf Riders re-encountered Rayek in the uh, Frozen Mountains. Yep. And Rayek actually told his story of his survival and what happened to him after he left Sorzen to Lita. And it was the same type of technique where it's the story within a story. Yep. And uh, I, I just, I love that. I think I mentioned that last episode. I love that storytelling technique. Um, and I love the artwork and it was just very moving also just because of my um, affinity for Tildak. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, that was the part of the special that I loved. Um, the part that I didn't like so much, and I might take some heat for this, but I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, I, I'm not really too fond of the wave dancers hmm. yet. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to put a huge disclaimer on that and say yet, because I'm hoping that that changes. But as it stands now, or as it swims now, um, I just find the wave dancers uh, hard to relate to. Um, I don't really feel like they're fully fleshed out as a tribe. I don't really understand how they function as a tribe. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus, on top of that, they're all very morose and depressed for the most part. They seem to be getting a bit better now, but uh, I I just find them not very likable, to be honest. Yeah, and I I have, uh, there's not one amongst them that I find I have a real, um, that I feel a connection to, or that I I love, or that I relate to. so I just feel kind of removed from them to some degree. Right. Yeah. So. I think that's fair. I mean, you're you're right. They really haven't been fleshed out very much. I mean, a couple of them uh, have Surge and Snakeskin in particular and Brill as well probably are the three that we kind of know the most about and their personalities and motivations. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think um, 
as a I tribe, think, though, I just find that I don't really understand how they function very well. Yeah. Like, uh, what what their their structure is, and yep. uh, I, I I don't understand how they survive in their environment. I don't understand why some of them are wearing dresses and things when, right. and <laughs> other ones are wearing um, like obviously things that they've gathered from the the ocean. Uh-huh. I, yeah. just, they don't really make sense to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's probably you know character design and that characters were designed characters are sometimes designed for a compelling look and it might not always make the most sense so longfin for example has this like flowy gown and exactly. you got to imagine that that isn't the most practical for being underwater but mm-hmm. you know who knows maybe you know there's some some special fabric that they well, I'm trying make. to figure out where are they making it? Are they weavers? Because uh, we haven't seen them doing anything like that. So then I was yeah. thinking maybe it's just from a shipwreck and it's a human dress. Oh, that's an interesting theory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more of the wave dancers over the course of the final quest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so well, let's let's see what happens with them. And I, I, I hear you. I mean, I don't have any particular love of any of the wave dancers. I mean, I like Spine. Based on the his personality in the non Wendy and Richard wave dancer stories, mm-hmm. um, but he he you know he was in the Discovery a little bit, but yeah. uh, I'm hoping he kind of bubbles back up to the surface because he he seems probably the most lighthearted and non morose of all of the wave dancers. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. Yeah, did I say that I don't have an affinity for them? Oh my god, <laughs> I'm not even gonna recognize that you just did that <laughs> well you just said that you hope he bubbles up to the surface so oh my god oh my god we, we i mean we have an illness David, come on i didn't do that on purpose i promise really <laughs> no oh not wow. at all. well <laughs> subconsciously you did <laughs> oh my god i love it all right so, so how about you all right so both of mine are going to be very broad Okay. Um, I think that my favorite part about the final quest special was the the art yes, and that if you look at the art in the final quest special, mm-hmm. it is so sort of lush and rich. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I, it, I, I was going to say rush r- lush and rich, like the first five issues of hidden years, but it's really very different from that because it's a completely different style. Um, you know, Wendy, I think, used watercolors for those Hidden Years issues. And obviously, she's now painting with light and pixels. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at the art in the Final Quest special compared to um, the DC books, the, the Searcher and the Sword and the, um, and the Discovery, I think that the amount of time that Wendy put into the Final Quest special and you know and subsequently the rest of the issues is really evident the art is just so again lush and detailed and fully uh it has that that sense of mass that i felt was missing from those the the two dc published stories um and so uh it just just really amazing and that has continued through into the, the 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 regular issues the series proper yeah, I mean, I, I, Wendy herself has said that you know she poured herself into the Final Quest special, and that that level of of richness of the art is probably unsustainable for all of the regular issues, and that they're going to be a little bit more. Uh, what's the word that she used? I, the, in my mind, the impression I got was sort of you know um, kind of scrappy and dynamic versus sort of 
super lush and rendered. But I, I got to tell you, um, you know, between Wendy, um, Wendy's uh, sort of panels and and um, inking, and then yeah. Sunny's colors, I, I have no complaints whatsoever about the rest of the issues either. But no. I just think that the Final Quest special is kind of so far like the gold standard for um, for ElfQuest. Um, you know, sort of. I, I guess, I guess, you know, Wendy's digital, digitally rendered ElfQuest. I think it's the best that we've seen so far. I think so too. Um, Super high quality. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing that beautiful I beautiful detailing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the thing that I that I don't love mm-hmm. is the, and it's actually a function of of Wendy working digitally, is I, the um, the the sort of, for lack of a better term, and I and I hate this term, but the cut and paste. Aspect. I okay. don't know if others noticed, but um, but there's definitely there there. You know, if you look at certain characters, um, it seems like th- you know there's sort of like a character base, and that Wendy's kind of manipulating that base. If you know different arm positions and different facial expressions, and I don't have any problem with that at all. But there's a couple there's a couple places where I feel like it stands out. And as a reader, okay. I noticed it. Right. And I think it's too that, obvious. Yeah. Places. It just became a little bit distracting. Sure. So I feel like tree stump, mm-hmm. um, is, is in this, you know, the, the sort of that same sort of, um, character base almost every time he appears in the final right. quest special, it's some iteration of that. Okay. Um, and also for chitter slash free touch, yes. um, seems to be, very much that that one illustration that's just being manipulated. And again, I don't have any problem with that. And I actually think it's kind of a genius way to take advantage of um, of a Photoshop and working digitally. Right. That um, I'm sure is a is a in many ways a big time saver. Mm-hmm. And you know, let's face it. I mean, you don't have to draw uh, you know the same tunic fifty times if you can draw it once and then kind of manipulate around it. So um, it's just that I, there were a couple spots where I felt like it kind of just. Again, it, it stood out to me, and I noticed it, and I think that then it distracted me from the story and the rest of the beautiful art. Um, and I'm happy to say that now that we're we're three issues into the the final quest proper, mm-hmm. it's com- it's completely a non-issue. I don't even right. notice it at all in in the other issues. So, I haven't um, specifically noticed anything like that. I did notice it in the special in a couple of places, and I uh-huh. did notice it with tree stump. Okay, um, so yeah, it's not so just I, me. No, 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 it's not. I, I understand why Wendy's doing it, though. I mean, it's a huge time saver to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a, a benefit of being able to use um, these programs that we have now, right? Like Photoshop Excellent. and yeah. Illustrator and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's only when it stands out and it's noticeable that it right. becomes sort of an issue, right? Yep. But And it's become, like I said, non... Uh, I haven't noticed it at all in the first three issues. Of, nor have I. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. so that's that. Um, remember last episode I was mentioning how much of a geek I was that I counted everybody in the crowd scene in the palace at the end oh, of the yeah. special? Uh-huh. Yeah, there's 49 Sunfolk. Plus wow. Kamein makes fifty. Wow! Yeah, that's a, I went that, back that, and I counted. <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing. I wouldn't yeah. have thought there were that many in that illustration. No, I know, but so. just, just looking at, it, glancing at it, it, doesn't look like it would be that many. But yeah, when uh-huh. you get down to the nitty gritty and and count them all, yeah, there's uh, there's forty nine sun villagers. Cool. I wonder. Um, <laughs> I wonder how many of the you know the sun villagers that we have kind of come to know by name over you know the twenty thousand year span of that Elfquest has been sort of telling mm-hmm. the story. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of them are still there? Because right. certainly you know they're immortal, and 
they, um, you know, unless they were killed in the go back war or had some awful accident that was like instant death, got eaten by a zoot, right? Got eaten by, or, or stomped by a zoot, like Thero, yeah, right? Um, we mentioned <laughs> good old mentioned Thero, the, good old Thero, yeah. Um, he does not have a character profile, but I am now um, committing to. to to writing one yes. just because do you, you laughed at me so hard last uh, episode <laughs> for even knowing who he was. Well, I was just so. going to ask you if you could name all 49 of those Sun Villagers because um. my guess would be that <laughs> the answer would be yes. Um, do you really want me even, to? <laughs> even when they're in silhouette. <laughs> no, even I'm not that good. But I no. do I do wonder, you know, I mean, Rayek's parents, for example. I mean, are they yep. still bopping around? Um, you know, just because we don't see them doesn't mean that they're not there. Um, and, you know, so many other... Minya, we know, is still there because you can see her pretty distinctly in some of those background scenes. And we see Malene, um Well, she actually comes closer into the, the spotlight. But um, I'm trying to think of some of the other other elves that um, we've met over the years. Um, uh, and just wondering if they're if they're all still there. Still around. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I, I have a feeling that we probably it. won't we won't ever find that out. But probably not. But but yeah. you know what? Um, mm-hmm. th- that actually makes me think of something else um, related to your comment about the wave dancers. And yes. if you think about the wave dancers, they were kind of unique, except w- with the exception of the wolf riders, in that they were envisioned as a fully formed tribe. Right. Right. With Unlike individual characters. Right. Or, or the, the sunfolk. Uh, the sunfolk. Or the gliders. Or the gliders, where you had three or four. Named characters who played a, a a part in the actual story, and the rest were all just kind of background. Exactly, right? and so yeah. So I think what we're seeing is that I, again, I think wisely, mm-hmm. since they are just one of many, you know, many characters and one of several tribes, that there's just a few of them that are going to really kind of get fleshed out, and the rest are going to kind of fade into the back. So you know, again, I I, I doubt that we're ever going to get. Uh, you know, an in-depth storyline about Strand. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, right. I just don't think that's going to happen. No. I think, I think, um, S- S- Snakeskin and Brill and Krill and Skimback and Spine and maybe Darshek and Reef and Reef. Oh yeah, you can't forget Reef are um, are probably the however many that was five or six that will get any kind of major airtime, and the rest will literally just be background characters. But you know, we'll see. Yeah. We'll oh, and Korafe too. Oh, Can't and Korafei, yeah. Uh, speaking of Korafei, I just wanted to quickly mention, because um, we didn't really talk about this in the special episode, but uh, her name. Um, there was a oh, lot yeah. of conjecture when her name was announced and that she was a character uh, around her name, and people were coming up with different sort of explanations for what it, where it came from. Um, and one of them was that it was a combination of the word coral plus fey, which is in uh, another term for the fairy folk, the fae. Yes. Um, so put the two together, you get Korafei. But Wendy uh, commented on Facebook and said, no, that's not the case, but at the, that at some point she and Richard would give us the story of how they came to uh, came to that name. Um, yeah, you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I actually totally forgot about that. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking at the time, like, I want to know. I know, me too. <laughs> But so I maybe think she we'll, said specifically after the final quest is over that she would give us that story. So huh. yeah, that makes me want to know it more. I know, more. me too. Right? Yeah, yeah. But well, it's I guess very interesting. We'll have to be patient and um, yes. wait and see. Um, um, all right. You know what? Okay, <laughs> man, I have so much stuff I need to talk about. Uh, I just want to put this out there. I was at the cottage, uh, the family cottage, uh, the past few days, and it's on a lake. 
And it's one of the few places I get to go to where I can sit outside and look up into the sky at night and see all of the stars, the Milky Way, uh -huh. um, because it's so dark there. There's hardly any light pollution. And it's just absolutely stunning, right, to to look up into the sky at night and see the Milky Way and just yeah. kind of contemplate everything. Um, but uh, I couldn't help but feeling like skywise when I was doing that. And then the funniest thing happened as I was walking back up to the cabin, uh, there were fireflies. And mm -hmm. I stopped and I was looking at them and I said to myself, uh, little star cousins. So <laughs> this is how much uh, ElfQuest has infiltrated my my being. <laughs> oh my God, I do the exact same kind of thing <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like I said, it's an illness, but one I'm happy is. to have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So I just want right. to, uh, yeah, relate that story. Anyways, no, okay. Cool. I'm glad you did. So, so now that we are, um, what, 48 minutes we into the uh, into the episode, oh. we're gonna finally start talking about the issues. So. I think I might have to split this one into two as well. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see. It depends on how long you know we take to get through this. Yeah. But, um, but um, so uh, I think let's just start by you know starting at the top of the issue. I mean, the issue opens up and we see. Uh, you know, this great scene, you know, Cutter's right there on the on the big splash page howling. And we see the Wolf Riders running up, um, call, you know, mm -hmm. coming to the hunt. And we learn some things in this scene. And that um, the, the big thing is that the Wolf Riders, Cutter's Wolf Riders anyway, are kind of living the easy life. They, yeah. They've got the palace there for protection. They've got the preservers there storing up food. Right. And it seems like they're kind of maybe going a little soft, maybe... Yeah. Kind of getting lackadaisical. Cutter mm -hmm. makes a joke about um, a tree stumps, wolf, stone chest, you know, getting fat because fat he's not belly. hunting. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah they're getting just... a little complacent, maybe losing some of their uh, the, the skills that keep them sharp as hunters and warriors. Right. Uh, yeah, like but, getting a bit too easy, I think, for them with the palace. But I was happy to see that they recognize that and they, they, they are making it a point to sort of get out there without a healer's help and just sort of live the traditional wolf rider way, even though they are in the shadow of the palace and, um, and, and it's really having a massive impact on them some more than others, which we'll talk about in a minute. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool. And of course that big splash page of cutter and strongbow riding their wolves on the hunt with the silhouette of the doe that strongbow shoots in the background on that Beautiful. gorgeous sort of orange background i mean i love that i love that it's it's that uh, very stylized kind of um, totally yeah technique yeah. that wendy sometimes utilizes and i could i would love to see that in black and white actually because yeah um i think it was despite the beautiful colors that sunny used and throughout this issue i want to make a point of that sunny's usage of color in this issue is incredible um but i could really envision that as being uh the the stark black against the white background and it works yeah. in that stylized way i would love to see it like that at some point i i hope that um wendy and, and richard post that somewhere just the black and white image yeah um yeah. but yeah that's great just going back there uh when um cutter and the tribe decide that they're going to go out and hunt we've got that three panel seen at the very top with Cutter's new wolf filter. Yeah. And he's grabbing yeah. his boot, grabbing Cutter's boot off just like a, a dog would with a pair of socks. I just uh -huh. think that's funny. It's just totally another funny. one of those moments, right? That those, Exactly. Those and I love how it's, moments. Yeah, it's just sort of happening there in the background. I mean, they're having a conversation. Cutter and Tree Stump and you know Chitter are all chatting away and mm -hmm. you just you just see this funny interaction between Cutter and Filcher. 
and and it's obviously where he gets his name from, right? Because to filch yeah. means to steal, right? And so Filcher is there, probably a fairly young wolf, mm-hmm. um, and he's you know just sort of stealing Cutter's boot right off his foot. It's hilarious. Yeah, it is. And Great. it, I also loved it too because as we talked about in the, uh, I think it was the last um, episode, so the the fourth episode on the Final Quest special, we were talking about how we really would love to see more of the wolves and see yes. more of their as characters and have their personalities come out. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to see that with Filcher. Well, there we go. Yeah, we've got Filcher. And then we also get reference to uh, Stone Chest, right? Tree Stone. Right. That's right. You get another wolf name. Yep. He needs to go on a diet. (laughs) Apparently, yeah. Oh, by the way, um, that's something else that um, for the Wolf Riders on the ElfQuest forums, on the character profiles, on their Mm -hmm. bios, um, I have actually gone in and added in all the, the, the known and confirmed names of wolf friends for all of the wolf riders and i will be updating those as we go as we get more names so stone chest is already in there in tree stumps profile as is filcher amazing excellent yeah Yeah, that's great um and then i love that uh group scene uh where red lance is sticking his head out of uh one of the um the The tree dens the the tree dens yeah I love the coloring in that scene. Again, Sonny just did an amazing job in this issue with the coloring. It's all in, in tones of violet, and it's yeah. beautiful because it gives that impression of nighttime. These are night-dwelling yep. things. Right? Well, the, the thing that I love about that panel in particular, mm-hmm. and it really it really backs up what I was saying a few minutes ago it, about the quality of the art in the final quest. And you know, for me, one of the, 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 the things that makes Wendy's art amazing is when it has some of that black inking yes. and this sense of mass to the characters yes. that when 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 the art is done just in colors, right. um, sometimes there it's missing that or it's, there's less of it for, you know, and that's just yeah. my personal style preference, but no, you can really see Wendy pulling out the black inks in that panel right there. Mm-hmm. And then, and then that with the combination of that and then Sonny's gorgeous nighttime coloring, it just makes it a perfect scene. So effective. Yeah. So we've got tree stump, dart, shitter or free touch, yeah. uh, Clearbrook, cutter, nightfall, red lance and strongbow going on yeah. the hunt. Um, great to see Dart going on the hunt, too, because he's embracing his wolf rider side again and uh, joining in on the hunt. Totally, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get the impression about um, you know Dart, both from the comments when he kind of rejoined the wolf riders at the end of Shards in that last issue, that he was kind of ready to just sort of put it, throw himself fully back into the now of wolf thought and and give up you know worrying about everything in the forever green storyline and all of the trauma and the sun village and the go back war and whatever and i think that and then his comments to um to chemo at the beginning of the final quest special when he's just like you know i kind of flip this way and that and i'm just kind of doing my thing and he really seems to be kind of the embodiment of an elf that's really living in the now of wolf thought and just happy to live day by day Right. Which is nice to see since he has had sort of a traumatic past. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And he seems to be kind of rediscovering himself. Yeah. And who he is in his role. Yeah. I hope we see more of Dart and that he doesn't just be become fall into sort of the background the way that we were talking about with the wave dancers. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Wendy's mentioned uh, a couple of times that she would be um, there'd be a bit more focus on Dart or that we get a bit more of his story. Like there there's more to him and we're going to get more of his story good in final i can't wait (laughs) yeah um 
So, uh, so, so the other huge thing in this sort of opening scene before we cut over to Ember's tribe is that mm-hmm. we finally get a little bit more insight into what has been bugging Moonshade or what her finally. issue has been. Yes. Right. And so yeah. we, we find out basically mm-hmm. she's been hanging out in the palace. She's wearing her beautiful flowy preserver silk. Yeah. The preserver yeah. silk, um, you know, clothing and um, which, by the way, I think I thought was a brilliant choice on the part of Wendy to dress her like that mm-hmm. in that purple flowing fabric, because it harkens back to one of the one of the first new blood stories that were um, when, when that sort of ElfQuest title launched. Um, one of the stories was um, was about Moonshade. Right. And 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 when they first got to the Sun Village and how this one particular Sun Villager who was sort of Anshen. a weaver, yeah, Anshen, Anshen, however you pronounce it, he doesn't have a profile either, but maybe I'll create one for him too. Yeah, but, along um, with Thero. Yes, along with Thero. Um, but hey, there's another one. He might still be bopping around the palace too. For all we know, he made that dress. Maybe he made that dress. Yeah. yeah. But I just thought that was really neat because it not only kind of was a nod back to that story, which again, may or may not be canon, but... I don't see anything in it that 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 would set you know indicate that it's non-canon, but mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was a really good story, a well-written story. So, um, but at any rate, it harkens back to that, which I thought was neat. But it also really emphasizes this how radical this change in Moonshade is from her point of view before. Um, now, obviously, that was hundreds of years ago, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 but it, it, it sort of uh, highlights this idea that these characters are real people and that just like in real life they can change right especially given that they are so long-lived i mean it's kind of unrealistic to expect that that an individual would just stay exactly the same static without changing their opinions or viewpoints or emotions over the course of hundreds or thousands of years so exactly. i the 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 design the design decision to put her in that dress i thought was really neat but really smart mm-hmm. we we learn that her her whole thing is that what does she say right here she just says that but um, i am not as before my will danger yeah danger and risk no longer feed my spirit so that's pretty amazing mm-hmm. and she so she's hanging out in the palace kind of learning and who knows what she's learning but um i think obviously that will probably be revealed as the story goes but even more than that which is if, if that wasn't enough of a bomb mm-hmm. to learn that she's kind of not really into the whole wolf rider way of life mm-hmm. anymore mm-hmm. she's actually thinking about giving up her wolf blood she's contemplating giving it up right she says that uh what did she say and because uh Change is good, but he's so stubborn about it. She's referencing Strongbow. And because he is Stargazer, wouldn't it be the worst betrayal of all to do what I'm thinking? To do as you did. Give up my wolf blood and become immortal. Yeah, I, so. I'm dying to know, to get more of her thought process on that and what what really led her there. I mean, we know we know that, that. over the course of, of the, the time that passed in the Final Quest special, the, the 20 plus years... Um, that, you know, we see these little vignettes and, and little scenes with Moonshade where, you know, she's really reacting strongly to, to death and mortality. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this whole idea that, you know, now like the palace is there and they're not tied to that sort of mortal bolt of bright fire in the night life anymore. And I think she's finally, her mind has opened up a little bit to the possibility that there are other ways of being. Right. And that seems to be something that is kind of a theme already in in the final quest because that's mm-hmm. what Cutter says at the end of the final quest special and that last panel with Skywise. You know, he's like, one thing's for certain, 
the way isn't the only way. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, okay, well, here's what I'm having trouble with as far as Moonshade's uh, decisions. Um, Skywise gave up his wolf blood in order to have more time to get back to Cutter, right? Because during Kings of the Broken Wheel, it was he was uh, afraid that Cutter had died or that he needed to find a way to get back to him somehow. So he asked Lita to take the wolf blood away to make him immortal in order that he would have endless time in which to um, find Cutter again. Right. Um, whereas Moonshade, from what I gather uh, from reading the special, like you said, she's sort of tired of the endless cycle of survival um, and it never seems to end. Uh, and she she just seems that it's causing a depression in her. Or she's sick of it, this uh, mere survival, eking it out, day-to-day existence. Um, so... Why then would you choose to be immortal? Because being immortal doesn't prevent you from living that sort of life. Um, wouldn't it be a better option to become a spirit instead? Hmm. Now that's an interesting question. So, um, I mean, my my reaction to that is, I think that that is maybe missed that that that's sort of portraying it as an either or kind of option and you might be missing sort of the middle ground third option and that okay. is you know now that the palace is there and that you know this is sort of the palace is almost like a living being it's almost sentient you know yes. and and it has this sort of aura and magic about it that literally feeds elf spirits and so i think that there's a whole level of experience living in the palace that is worth living in, you know, in your body. Um, especially if you are a, you know, sort of a gentle, fairly shy, creative type like Moonshade. I mean, let's face it, Moonshade is an artist. Yes, definitely. And so I feel like she is like learning, she's, she's having this, this sort of rebirth in the palace and discovering things about herself and, and that side of her that always came secondary to survival and living by the way and it's kind of like she's kind of like mind blown by it. She's like, wow, like there really is, you know, and I want to there really is another way of being and I want to be around for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to I want to have an eternity to sort of swim in this world and figure out, you know, what my full potential is and and all that. That's kind of how I interpret it. Right. OK, well, that makes sense. Um, but um, but yeah, that is an interesting question. Like, why not just let go of the shell altogether and live purely in spirit? I don't right, know. Right. Right. Because to me, it's it's being immortal doesn't negate the day-to-day survival. I mean, look at the sun villagers, right? They lived still in that uh, survival mode, despite the fact that they were immortals. They still had to eat and they had to... Right, uh, but that yeah. th- their survival mode was radically different than the Wolf Riders or Certainly. the Gobi. survival mode. I mean, same thing with the gliders. Um, and so I think I, but I think the big difference is the palace. I mean, we mm-hmm. didn't see, we didn't see Moonshade doing this in the seven years that she lived in the sun village. No. You know, I think the palace is the big key difference and that, um, you know, there, there's just this sort of effect that it seems to have on elves calling them back to their kind of their roots, if you will, their, 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 their sort of a high one first comer kind of roots and potential and all that. So, um, anyway, that's what I think what's, what's going on. So it doesn't, I, I think it's a shocking character choice for, you know, they could have picked another character that maybe would have made some more sense mm-hmm. um, because, or wouldn't, it wouldn't have been so, so such a radical shift in viewpoint. Right. However, 
the fact that it's moonshade yeah I, kind of to me was genius because it's totally again it's like a bomb that has Absolutely. been dropped it's like the last character that you would have ever expected to do this well she, and she's been it, a dyed in the wool uh follower of the way since she was introduced um so to suddenly have this huge character development this drastic change it's shocking um, yeah like you said it's like a bomb going off right and yet i mean it's not uh, if you think about it it's not illogical it's, it's not illogical right once we kind of get a sense of exactly where she's coming from it does right. start to make sense um yeah. poor strongbow though he seems so torn and upset. I mean, obviously, right? His yeah. life mate, who they are like one being almost. Remember yeah. that their dream time they basically were. Yeah. Um, well, well, Ed, when we talk about uh, when we get into issue number three, there's more yeah. that happens to that, and we see that, that Moonshade is struggling with it just as much as as um, as Strongbow is. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, she might have a, a better perspective on it because it's her choices. But um, but the thing oh, yeah. that I I really loved too mm -hmm. about um, about this scene, well, a couple things. One, Moonshade is gorgeous. Period. I think she's like the prettiest, most amazingly beautiful elf that there is. Mm. Um, you know, and I think this is set, this is in a cast of beautiful characters. Yeah, exactly. There's just a lot something of competition. About her. Yeah. Um, that I just think is, is very, very beautiful. Um, I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know if it's that she has dark hair and so many of the elves have light hair. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know that. And that one panel that, that sort of full frontal face panel of hers yes. is just like classic Wendy art right there. I mean, Definitely. just, I'm blown away by it. Um, but the other thing that I liked in that same panel is how, we fans are all fretting over, oh my gosh, like I can't believe Moonshade's doing this. Why would she do this? It's out of character for her or whatever. And Skywise, and she, you know, Moonshade's like, no, I'm not going on the hunt. I'm going to stay in the palace for now. And Skywise is like, no, oh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I, that, I mean, that just sums up how human we are when we worry about stuff like this, when we're like, oh my God, I can't believe that she's doing this. And, and it just doesn't seem right or whatever. And you know what? The elves just, they don't think like that. No. At least when they're thinking at, in their highest place. Right. Even Cutter, a couple pages later, mm -hmm. um, when they're, you know, the Wolf Riders have been successful at the hunt and, and, you know, Nightfall is like, you know, being a cheerleader for being a Wolf Rider and, and Free Touches too. And they're howling and, um, and then Cutter gets thoughtful and, you know, he's like, you know, it's really not the same because Skywise and Moonshade aren't here. But then he says, but I wouldn't pull either of you back from the palace of sway. There's no stopping the changes. Exactly. You know, so even for Cutter, mm -hmm. um, you know, who who's tasked with keeping the Wolf Riders alive and uh, you know viable as a tribe, mm -hmm. recognizes that you know what we're uh, to me all like the, both Skywise and Cutter's reaction there is the embodiment of one of the most awesome elements of ElfQuest of all time that was introduced way back in the beginning, and that is the concept of I'll be what I'll be. Right. You know, that, that yeah. Suntop said as a little kid. And that's how these characters are. And I think that is a message. If there's messages in ElfQuest, I mean, Wendy and Richard try not to, uh, I feel like, be, beat us over the head or, no. or, or be too preachy with any of this stuff. But if there's a subtle. message mm -hmm. of, of ElfQuest, that is certainly one of them. Definitely. That I think is the strongest and most, most powerful. And that has been most empowering to me in mm -hmm. the real world. Mm -hmm. Just remembering that it's okay to be who you are. Absolutely. And you can't really be anybody else than who you are. Right. And and also to be accepting of other people 
mm-hmm. um, you know, when they're different than me or whatever. Uh, I try to, I personally try to channel that sentiment that Skywise and Cutter are are putting out there um, versus the Strongbow reaction, which is to be kind of grumpy and growly and critical of it. You know, right. so right. Um, well, it's a good so powerful stuff. Um, and of course, Cutter is the chief of changes, right? Not only does he accept change he takes advantage of it so plus he also knows that ember is on the other side of the world with her splinter group of wolf riders and she is much more um in keeping to the way um cutter is well aware that the palace is having an effect on them he accepts Mm -hmm. it um he accepts the change like you said he's accepting what's happening with moonshade and what's happened with skywise he wishes they were there on the hunt with the rest of the wolf riders, but they aren't, and he accepts that. Um, yeah. But he knows on some level that Ember and her tribe are really carrying the way that his tribe is going to be affected by the palace, and right. um, there's not much he can do about it. So he he accepts that. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 again, I think that that is going to be sort of one of the big cruxes here of of this whole series is is how are the are the wolf riders, whether they're in Cutter's tribe or Ember's tribe, um, or you know how are they? How are they going to react and evolve and and survive given the power of the palace? Those two tribes, right? It'll be interesting to see how the Wolf Riders um, exactly survive the influence of the palace and how they deal with it. Uh, right. When we have these two facets of the same tribe, we'll see. Right. I, it might be a bit of compare and contrast, actually. Yeah. You know, to see how much Cutter's Wolf Rider changes versus Ember's Wolf Riders, but I know, wouldn't that help. be? A, a really weird thing to explore, you know, if Wolf, Ember's Wolf Riders sort of go more feral and Cutter's Wolf Riders get more... Uh, high one High one and refined. That would be very strange. Very strange. Well, it's already um, happening. Look at Moonshade, right? She's already... Well, yeah. She's yeah. moving towards being akin to a high one at this point. Yeah. 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 Just going so, back a, a couple of pages there, at the very top, um, we've got Lita talking to Cutter and we see the two new love mates, uh, Newstar and Oler. Yep. In the background, great yep. to see them together. And um, also, we get that one panel of um, Lita and Cutter saying goodbye to each other as Cutter yeah. takes off on the hunt, and they press noses together. They don't kiss because that is a human custom, and elves d- don't kiss each other. Yeah, we and, never you know, that's see something, that. That's something that I... Th- uh, now that you say it, I'm totally thinking of that. I, I mean, and I, I saw obviously that they were touching noses, but I didn't really think about the fact that that was sort of the their. Um, I don't know if that's the equivalent to a human kiss, or if they're just touching noses because it feels good. It's a well, that but that noses. is the equivalent of a human kiss, right? We touch for lips the, for it the feels elves. Good. Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh. Like, just just think about what you just said. Okay. You know. Whether or not, I mean, there are the elves obviously aren't thinking. Well, this is the equivalent of a, of a kiss, but no. the reason that humans in the real world kiss is because touching lips feels good. And so, like you you just said, maybe they're doing it just because it feels good. But exactly. I don't know if it's the analog. But if it feels good, then that and that's why they're doing it. It kind of is the equivalent, right? If you think about it, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of <laughs> cute to see that, though. It, it's totally cute. Um, um, speaking of of New Star and Oler in the background right. too. Um, I, I like that they were pictured there too, because they're sort of re- in that panel in particular, kind of representative of um, sort of the the side of the Wolf Riders that isn't the sort of the wild side. Um, whether they are adopted Wolf Riders like Lita and Oler, or whether they're full blooded Wolf Riders that just don't skew that way, that skew more towards the gentle side um, in in New Star, um, right. and that they're still represented there, but they're not going on the hunt. 
Um, I just thought that was cool. I wonder if we'll ever see Newstar go on a hunt, or has she completely become a palace dweller? And she's, uh, she, I mean, she was raised amongst the Sun Folk, right? She lived with them more than she ever spent any time with the Wolf Riders. Right. Um, I think she might be fully uh, integrated into that lifestyle, and she's basically a palace dweller, regardless of the fact that she has wolf blood. Well, you know, we see her outside and we see her interacting with the Wolf Riders and we see Oler spending more time outside. I think but we my never impression see, she doesn't have a wolf friend. We never see her yeah. riding a wolf or going on hunts or anything. No. And and I think that um I think that she's a wolf rider. This mm-hmm. is kind of my point that not all wolf riders are, you know, sort of blade carrying, howling at the moons, wolf riding, Blood wolf drinking. riders. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like there are some of them that aren't. And I like that they're still again, it's it's I'll be what I'll be. No one judges them for that. No, of course I mean, not. and her mother was pretty much like that too. I mean, yes. you know, and so it, and 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 I guess, you know, Newstar actually is a great example of an elf that has already kind of gone through what Moonshade, Moonshade. is going through, maybe to a lesser degree. Yes. In that, you know, she was a wolf rider from birth. Mm-hmm. Um and she, you know, and, and, and maybe maybe Rainsong is the better example. Because Newstar didn't really ever have time to sort of live the Wolf Rider lifestyle the way that Rainsong did. But, you know, she she ended up in a place where she realized that she didn't have to be that traditional Wolf Rider. And that was okay. And there was an, there was an alternative that was just as viable and just as true to herself. And maybe even more true to herself. And the, so that's what she chose to do. And I feel like that's what Newstar represents within the Wolf Rider tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's sort of like, it's kind of like what Moonshade's going through uh, to a lesser degree. But... Sure, and probably and so that, that'll traumatic, actually be, right? right, obviously for Newstar because she was just raised that way. Uh, whereas exactly, Moonshade yeah. is making this really dramatic choice, right? At this point. Many years into her life, Definitely. but it will be really interesting now that we're talking about it. I, this is just a thought that's forming in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know, like, one of the coolest little background details in ElfQuest is the friendship between Moonshade and Rainsong. It's never blatantly stated, but if you go back and look, there are definitely background scenes where the two of them are interacting. Um, I mean, if you uh, so so, so really? for example, the, oh yeah, absolutely. I had um, yeah. Um, I, I I hesitate to even mention them. Part of me wants to just say that and then let people go find them. Um, but there's definitely this sort of subtle indication that the two of them, being kind of quieter, more gentler wolf riders, mm-hmm. had a friendship. Oh no! Um, okay, and so, so I'm curious if if what we were just talking about it will ever you know will sort of manifest in the story, you know, as Moonshade is struggling to change her way of life. If if there if there's anything that New Star might be able to share with her, um, you know, perspective having lived that change, her life and successfully done it. I mean, New Star really. There's no question about Newstar. You know, she is a, a gentle sun villager type wolf rider mm-hmm. that lives with the wolf riders, is in and out of the palace equally probably. Um, and she doesn't have any angst or challenge with that whatsoever. Right. So it'll be curious. I, I would love to see a scene between the two of them with, with, with Newstar, who doesn't get a lot of airtime, you know, sharing some of her perspective and maybe wisdom with Moonshade in a, in a, in a period when Moonshade is maybe kind of struggling with this stuff. Oh, that would be very interesting. Yeah, we'll ha- we'll see. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. just um, surprised to hear that about Moonshade and uh, and Rainsong. I'm gonna All have right. to go back now and look at. Well, that's issues. the homework. Yeah, that's the homework. And um, the first person mm-hmm. to 
name at least two instances of what I'm talking about um, in the comments anywhere on SoundCloud, iTunes, the forums, or Facebook. Um, we'll have to think of something cool to say or do for you. Yeah. But um, I'll be on the lookout right. for that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and you, you're, you, um, you are not eligible. I'm right. not eligible. All no. right. Now that makes sense. I'm, I'm the host. So, yeah. Um, just pointing out to you, uh, Newstar is paired up with Oler. Mm-hmm. Rafael died horribly. She got burned to crisp by a Skyfire. Yep. A bolt of Skyfire. Um, it seems like Skywise's love mates are slowly <laughs> being either killed or uh, paired off with other elves and i wonder if that's leading towards something hmm like so setting him up for something so who do we have so we have rafael yes who is is gone yes. fox for obviously yes got um, killed by mad coil yeah who else i mean aurora okay well new, new star is now paired up with older right right um right. i mean this is not to say that she might not share furs with Skywise at some point, but just story-wise as far as like being an actual love mate. Um, Aurori, we don't know at this point. Uh, but she's not present and she's hasn't not around. been nope. for a few decades. Um, but if they although, ever come back together at some point, right? If, the, if yeah. Aurori and Benka eventually make their way back to the Wolf Riders at some mm-hmm. point, uh, my guess is that Aurori is going to have some sort of love mate. Really? Yes. With a go-back? I don't know. <laughs> but we'll see. That's my that, guess, though, is that, that would be have a love mate. Yeah. All right. You said it first. Because mm-hmm. um, I think um, Skywise, story-wise, they're setting Skywise up for something. And they don't want him to have any other potential love mates. In that's the so interesting. Yeah, that's another thing that I didn't even think about. But now that you say it, yeah, maybe. I mean, you're right. Because the two, two of, I would say two of the four. Well-known. Mm-hmm current sort of love mates that we have seen in the most recent ElfQuest story. So I would say Malene, Rafael, Aurori, and Newstar all seem to be sort of the, the four that we have seen him with. Mm-hmm. One of them's dead. One of them's often another, you know, way on the other side of the continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is paired off with somebody else. Malene never seemed to be as attached to Skywise no. as Rafael was. So no. You know, she's out doing her own thing, and maybe right. she'll show up again. Although there is a there is a fifth. Who? Krill. Oh yeah, yes. But she, of course, is on another continent too. So, right. and that and is obviously in the water. So, yeah, I don't just know. kind of a fun dalliance. But yeah, exactly. so that'll be interesting to see. A, if Aurori shows up with uh, with some kind of love mate, or maybe even a life mate. Maybe she recognizes a go back, which we've mm-hmm. never seen happen before. Um, mm-hmm. And. Uh, who knows? You know, maybe yeah. she and Benka will become love mates. Maybe. maybe that's the 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 visible same sex couple that we're going to get to see. Yes, that we have been told is coming. Right. And I actually, now that I say that, that would be an awesome couple. Yeah, I, think about it. That would be. Uh, they would really complement each other well. Definitely. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Mm. I don't know I'm how Two Edge would feel about that, but. How who? Two Edge. Oh yeah, I forgot about poor Two Edge. Yeah. With his maiden. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe the, maybe there'll be like a threesome. <laughs> yeah, orgy, just like in book four. Well, listen, we know that Aurori doesn't have hangups. I mean, she, you know, sort of experimented with with humans, uh, both in Blue Mountain and then with Little Patch. So right. maybe she'll, um, you know, she'll extend that to a half troll. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Could happen. Maybe it did happen in Blue Mountain already. It, it could have. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm sure Skywise is doing fine, though. I mean, he pretty much has sex with everybody, I think, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> Must be nice. Yep. <laughs> Good old Skywise. All right. So um, let, let's get back yeah. to uh, to the story, to this issue. Uh, okay. So after we, you know, this sort of opening scene in the palace and with Cutter's Wolf Riders, we cut over to Ember's Wolf Riders, who are decidedly not living the easy life the way the Cutter's Wolf Riders are. And in fact, they're... Under it's attack. pretty deep, yeah, pretty deep doo-doo um, with Angriff John and his long rider allies kind of marching up the mountain that they have their halt on. Yes. And, um, okay, and, so this is basically a retelling of the recognition special, which came out in 2001. So we're yes. looking at, what, 13 years ago. There was a special, I don't know how many of our listeners actually got around to reading it, because it seemed to be kind of an obscure special that came out. Yeah, it but was it, after it was after the um, the discontinuation the of the anthology yeah. ElfQuest comic, which you know ran for several years. I think mm-hmm. there were thirty three issues of that. Yeah. So um, and then there was like maybe a year or so With where it. there wasn't any published ElfQuest, and then this final quest, or I'm sorry, this the recognition Special. part one and part two came out. And Did part so yeah, two I, come out? Um, I'm pretty sure I don't it came think out. So. Really. I or think maybe it's just the one issue, and then part two was published on. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Part two maybe was published online. Yeah, and then um, and then that's all we saw of it. And we got um, Wolf Shadow too. Was the other special that came out at this right. time? Right, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, so how many people got around to actually reading that at the time? Yeah, back in yeah after the momentum of the anthology comic kind of sort of went away when yeah. the, that 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 series went away so i don't know but um but you're absolutely right yeah it's it's pretty much the rest of this issue is largely kind of a dist- distillation mm-hmm. i would call it of what we saw in in those first two episodes or issues of of the recognition storyline and again yeah go when, ahead when this came out uh, i remember on the forums there was a bit of um i wouldn't say backlash but uh, some people weren't too pleased with the fact that this issue was sort of a retelling of a story that they had already read. Right. Um, but my feeling was that, A, it had to be done because it was part of the main storyline of Final Quest. So there was yes. no way really in avoiding kind of rehashing that that one issue. Um, and B, I really thought it was cool because we were getting Wendy illustrating it and and. Yes. And Richard telling the story the way they kind of interpreted it um, yep. and with Wendy's art. And um, I found it really interesting to compare and contrast the two issues because it was like getting totally. the same story told from two different sides. And I think it was you who I was talking to you about this when the issue came out. And you were saying how this telling was more elf-centric, whereas the recognition yep. special was more human-centric. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was a really interesting comparison uh, with those two issues to see how the same story was told. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And um, yeah, like I was starting to say, I, I feel like you know this is kind of a distillation of what happened in in those two issues, which you know that was meant to be sort of like a mini series. So they in the comic, uh, the full blown comic recognition part one and part two, and however many other parts there were going to be. You know, they had the time and the space to go a little bit more in detail with certain things, certain scenes and whatever. Um, And now that the whole that that whole storyline is not its own standalone story, but it's one thread that is woven into the final quest. 
I think it, it just made sense that Wendy and Richard would sort of edit it and again streamline, steal out the major portions, and put their their sort of perspective and stamp on it. Yeah, um, and and you know at the time when this issue came out, I mean everyone was just so anxious and eager and f- practically frothing at the mouth to get this new issue of ElfQuest, mm-hmm. the number you know first issue in the series. And so I can I can empathize with people that felt a little bit disappointed Let because down, they were maybe? like, oh. Yeah, because they're yeah. like, oh, I already saw it. But I already you know read this before, right? Yeah. yeah. But at, even at the time, mm-hmm. I thought this. And that is, give it like two more issues, and they're going to completely forget about that. Exactly. And sure this enough, I happened. feel, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's just that there was, you know, we're, we're, we're so starred for ElfQuest that it's like, we just, we, you know, we crave new. it. Yeah, we want the new, and there. yeah, so. Yeah. Um, but you're right, so, we did get that with, once we got into issue two, right? It was all, it was all yeah. new. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, mm-hmm. so the action picks up. I mean, it's like big time. You know, they hit the ground. You know, totally running. But yes. so, so the the Jun is marching up the mountain. You know, Ember sends Pool and Sus to go be um, to go on watch. And this is one of my favorite parts of this issue is that little exchange between Krim and Pike, where you know she she's saying, you know, well, our you know our son Sus, he you know he'd he'd you know he died just to take out a bunch of these Junsmen soldiers and that wouldn't that be a glorious death and pike just kind of chuckles and he's like yeah but you know what let's keep him around for a little bit he chips out a pretty good spear tip yeah funny totally love that yeah totally in character for both of them mm-hmm. and i could i could almost hear pike chuckle and say that i just Definitely. thought it was super sweet and you know just sort of the dad love that P- pike is showing for his son mm-hmm. um in that and his you know he like Pike is really obviously clearly fond of Sust and oh, it's just absolutely. adorable. Well, let's talk about um, Pool and Sust because we yeah. haven't had a chance to. We didn't talk about them in the special. I think mm-hmm. I mentioned that we should save them for issue number one. Okay, right. So yeah. Let's talk about them. Um, so this is the first time, uh, or, well, not the first time, but one of the, the first times that we've seen Wendy really focus on these two new characters for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes. I mean, they have been around since the anthology series. Right. Um, but this is the first time we've really seen Wendy take a kick at them and, and yep. uh, put them down on the page. Um, so we've got two really different characters. Um, Poole is sort of the mystic, uh, very much a sun top type, I would say. Um, sensitive. Uh, but he's still, he's still definitely a woodsy elf, right? I mean, he's an archer. He takes after his father, I think, to some degree. Um, but he has this power, right, which we haven't seen displayed yet, uh, but we did see in the anthology series. He has an ability to sense magic gone wrong, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and then we have Sust, who is very much more of a, a go-back type, um, yep. a little bit tougher, I would say, a little bit more irreverent, right. um, and more of a warrior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's obvious. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, what's interesting to me too is the character design because where Sust has remained, or I'm sorry, where Pool has remained pretty much um, unchanged as far as what he looked like in the anthology, um, mm-hmm. Sust has changed considerably. Yeah, uh, he's much more angular as far as mm-hmm. his um, facial structure, uh, and then he has this uh, amazing hairdo. <laughs> it's sort of a bouffant mullet combination. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, and it's it's silver. He has the the rare right. silver well, hair. Yeah, we've never seen him colored before. This no. is the first time. 
that we've ever seen sussed in color. So in my I, mind, he always had blonde hair for some reason. Yeah, well, I mean that would make sense because the silver hair, like you said, is kind of a rare thing. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think. Well, as far as Sust's character design, in the original, when he was littler, he was more round of the face, which, Definitely. you know, a lot of elves are round in the face, right? Sure. Um, and then when you look at the the um, the sketches of him done by Lorraine Reyes, mm-hmm. he definitely has a pike look about him. Yes. But when, when the recognition storyline issues came out and they were illustrated by Brandon McKinney, the, that's when the character design actually changed. And you see the character design that Wendy is representing here. And I don't know what the story is on that, if that was Brandon changing the, d- the design or if that was something that Wendy decided to do at that point, that um, the way that Lorraine had designed him to be more pikeish mm-hmm. um, was you know, not how they really envisioned him. And so, um, so if you go back and look at that, and those, those issues are online on ElfQuest.com on the... Um, uh, in the online comics, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about, um, in those, in the recognition special issue. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like the design of, of Sust the way that we're seeing him now. I love the fact that he has silver hair and that it yes. just kind of, kind of came out of the blue. Yeah. You know, you would expect, um, you know, clear books child or, or, well, actually, uh, no, he's not, uh, that's pool. You would expect, Clearbrook's grandchild or child to have silver hair or one of Skywise's offspring or whatever, but to see it pop up just totally randomly like that is actually kind of neat. Well, we um, don't know. We don't know who Pike's mother was, mm-hmm. uh, so it's possible it was Clearbrook's dead daughter, who we've True. never seen, right? Who yep. might have also had silver hair. Yes, that's totally a possibility. But then that's also assuming that Pike actually is Sust's biological father. Right. Well, because that's true. That's, that's true. Never. Yeah. I think by now most of the fans know that that uh, it's never been um, laid down in stone as to whether or not Pike or Scott is the actual father of Sust, or if it's all three of them together. Because hey, right. they're elves, right? So maybe it's all three. Yeah. Um, Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> the strange things that elf genetics can do exactly um, which is a whole other can of worms that i <laughs> yeah. never want to get into <laughs> even i think that there you can take this stuff too far yeah, so um but yeah no I, I i agree with everything you said i i, I really like their character designs they're they're, they're very different mm-hmm. and they add something into the sort of the the you know sort of the overall design of the wolf riders in general mm-hmm. um so yeah i yeah. definitely think that uh, that they're neat characters and i want to see more of them i want to learn we more do. about them and, I, I think we're going to um yeah. we'll we'll definitely see more of them as we follow ember's tribe and right. her travails with the jun yes. um so speaking speaking yeah, of ember yeah. mm-hmm. um did you have something else to say about i, I did cool. actually okay. Uh, okay this is kind of going back to something we were talking about a few episodes ago as far as the timeline is concerned. Uh-huh. And, okay, if there's one thing, one issue with the timeline that I have, and I remember that this is after I said that I don't have an issue with the timeline <laughs> anymore, but I felt the need to point this out because it is something that uh, was kind of chewing at me for a bit. Uh-huh. But how old are Sustin Pool at this point, would you say? They're they're like in their thirties, maybe even their early forties. Are they? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, then that's fine then if that's the case because yeah, 
they look to me like they're still really young, like they are late teens or 20s at this point. That's how they look to me. Okay, so um, I... In which case, then, that would be a timeline discrepancy because when we see them in the Final Quest special, before um, all of this happens with the Jun, we mm-hmm. get that, that snippet of Ember's tribe. We see yeah. Pool and Sust, and they look pretty much the same as they do here. In see, I think, they look, I think they look way younger, particularly Sust. Okay, and that and that um, that first little snippet that we see in the very beginning of the special, yeah. Um, pool pool has kind of an like pool's face is one that is kind of ageless. Like he doesn't have sharp cheekbones. He's got that rounded look to his face. Mm-hmm. So I, there's not that much change that's happening there. But even if you look at that panel, the scale of his body, yes, is is definitely smaller than Scouter and Tilit and the other elves around him. You mean um, special. In the special, yeah. Okay. Like his arms are not really fully, you know, they're not Develop. as muscular as you're seeing them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in th- in that scene, I would I would say that they were sort of, you know, um, you know, d- d- early teenage years maybe, or maybe even a little bit younger than that. Um, and here's the thing about Sustin Pool is that they are the babies of this tribe. Yes. And the elves kind of refer to them that way and treat them that way. Mm-hmm. And I think we readers also do that because we saw them as babies. But they are older than Cutter and Skywise at the original at the beginning of the original quest. Right. And so is Ember at this stage of the game. Right. Okay. You know, Ember's in her forties or fifties at this point. They just they still refer to them as cubs, right? Which isn't too strange because no. Skywise was being referred to as a cub when he was in his forties. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I just visually to me they look like they're still really young. Uh, so that's why I was having trouble with the whole timeline thing because I'm thinking, well, they should have been, they should have looked like what Chitter looked like at that point in time. They should have been like toddlers almost. Right. Especially well, at that point in time, Chitter was. Not quite a toddler. I mean, she was well, like she was like what six? Maybe? Yeah, she was yeah. like six. And, okay, and so they're a, a couple but... a couple of years older than her. Yeah, you know, I can buy that they were you know in that scene, you know, maybe ten or eleven or whatever. So right. I mean, you barely saw them. The you, the big thing right. to me though is if you look at if you look at Sustin Pool, mm-hmm. that um, you know, for me when I look at them, I don't see young, you know, like uh, non mature in body. Is just look at their muscle development. They, they're exactly yeah. They're being drawn just like just like you know the same kind of physical you know the pecs. Look at the the scene in issue number two with Sus without a shirt on. He's ripped, and you know it's not the body of a you know a prepubescent or you know no. even a, a gangly teenager. So right, but I mean, looking at them here in this issue is that, that's what you're referring to. Uh, no, I was referring to in issue number two okay. after. To issue number two, right. Well, I mean, they could look like that in their 20s, though, right? I mean, I, I'm nitpicking, but it's just something that kind of stuck out for me. Where I was well, to me, an elf that is 18 years old can look exactly like an elf that's 200 years old. That's true. That's yeah, true. so yeah. once they get to that, to reach that physical maturity, yeah, I think it's all, you know, then, then the actual date on their age, it becomes less relevant to me. I just see them, they're adults, you know, and that's... That good enough for me, but yeah, I mean, even look at the scene or at the the panel where Ember sends Pool and Sust off running into the woods to mm-hmm. you know, be on guard. Look at look at Sust's muscle development in his arms. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that to me is an adult elf. 
Yeah, no, which is, I agree that they're adults. I'm just wondering exactly how old they would be, like whether they're in their 20s or in their 40s. Yeah, well, I mean, well, we know in the Final Quest special that 20, 20 years passed within the Final Quest special. Exactly. And, and at least a decade or more went by between the time that they were born and that point in time. Mm-hmm. So they've got to be at least 30 years old. Yeah. But again, this yeah. is, you know, this is, I, I get um, semi frustrated with getting into super <laughs> detailed, you know, like, I don't, you know, does it really matter if they're 30 or 40? No, you it know? doesn't. It doesn't really <laughs> matter. No, I'm just being an obsessive fan. Yeah. Well, I get, I, you know, it, it, the thing that, the, the reason why it bothers me is that it gets distracting from all the other good stuff. That's true. And, yeah. And, and it, you know, Wendy and Richard have basically said that the elves don't think that way. They're not. I mean, we talked about this. In but I'm day. a human. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you got to get over it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, we talked about this in one of the other episodes. Yes, um, we did. Just, just the idea that, um, you know, Wendy and Richard are not the kind of fantasy storytellers that um, someone like Tolkien was. They don't, you know, they're not like etching every belch of every character into stone and writing, you know, uh, a six-page backstory about it necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they they obviously have their world and their sort of worldview and the rules, and they have their timeline. But you know, when it comes to things like, well, is Paul, you know, is he eighteen or is he forty? When when physically the difference wouldn't be you know visually different, mm-hmm. it, it's it's kind of irrelevant, and yeah. that's how they treat it. And it's kind of in a way, it's one of the things that makes ElfQuest actually a lot different than most other fantasies that. Um, you know, that sort of do try to follow in that that same old Tolkien kind of model of mm-hmm. having the story etched in stone versus the way Wendy and Richard seem to be telling ElfQuest, in it, which is that, you know, I use the metaphor of it sort of almost like a, a plant. You know, it's a much more organic way of telling a story and it grows and sometimes it grows in a certain direction and sometimes they lop off a branch or two when it doesn't seem to fit with the overall health of the story. Exactly. And, um, and it, it's kind of fitting for... ElfQuest to be told that way because that's the way that the beings that they're that are the main characters actually kind of live their life and see their worldview and all that kind of stuff. So okay, um, point yeah. taken. All right, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. All right, no more so timeline moving. discussions. Yeah. No, I, I mean obviously that's that's a, you know if you have issues or whatever. Yeah, that's that, something that's I, I noticed. We're going to talk about. You're right. I mean, obviously, it's like we said in one of the last episodes, it's not really relevant at this point, you know, now that the story is going. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm just yeah, glad I mean, again, to see these two characters, and I am looking forward to learning more about them and seeing definitely. more in the story. I was just wondering how old they were, but... Yeah. <laughs> definitely, if they were being portrayed at, like they were 12 at this point, I would be like, hey, what's going on? That would going? be an issue, for sure. But, Yeah. yeah. So um, the thing, though, that I that I the next that scene that I want to talk about mm-hmm. is another one of my favorites. Okay. And it's uh, it's the scene with Ember and Tyr. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ember's like trying to be a chief and like thinking about, all right, what are we going to do? These these warriors, these human warriors are marching up the mountain. And Tyr is like, you know, all Twitter pated and lovey dovey and whatever. And she finally is like, for the love of God focus and like stop thinking about and the thing that i loved about it is that it's a total gender reversal Mm -hmm. of what you would normally see in almost any other genre you know you'd have the you know the star you know the star-crossed lovers with the you know the female kind of being the one that's all you know over and sentimental 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the man being gruff and kind of, you know, and, and, and Ember is the, is the chief. She's the leader. Right there you have, you know, breaking the rules of most fantasy. And, um, and you just have this, this great little gender role reversal, which um, I, I just find delicious. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's really nice to see that. Um, yeah, Tyr is being kind of annoying in this <laughs> little segment, I found. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, he's being a bit clingy and fawning over her, and she's saying, trying to say important things, you know, to help out the tribe because they're in danger of being killed. And meanwhile, right. all he can say is, "I love how your voice sounds, Ember." Yeah, you know, he's come, like come fawning furs with me. Um, yeah, so I don't know. He's he's a bit annoying, I find, in this yeah. segment. Tear has some issues. And yeah, we're, we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah I, I think we're 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 really starting to see some of them manifest. Well, with, right. in a couple of pages, we'll talk about uh, you know a, a real specific way that it manifests. But um, you know what just occurred to me actually when you said Ember saying, "For God's sake, Tear, get away from me," she actually yeah. says, "For free foot's sake, free right. foot, free foot, free touch." I'm just thinking that there's a connection between the names there, not the characters, but just the name that because. The name Free Touch always struck me as um, kind of cumbersome, to be honest. Really? Free I, touch. Yeah, yeah, Free Touch. But it, it has a precedent within the Wolf Rider tribe, right? They had yeah. Freefoot as a chief. So using the word free within a Wolf Rider name sort of has a precedent. And he was mm-hmm. a Freefoot, meaning he was a wanderer and um, a rover. And Free Touch, she's uh, obviously very um, affectionate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a free spirit. Yes, yeah, a free spirit. Yeah, I just yeah. that's that just occurred to me right now that, that connection between those two names. Right. Yeah. Um, well, well. Speaking of of Ember's sort of oath there for Freefoot's sake, mm-hmm. after our last um, episode, or maybe it was the one before that, when we were joking, kind of half seriously, that somebody should create a. Um, a, a forum chat about trying to collect all of the curses and oaths that the elves utter, and somebody did. I believe Someone I think it was redhead, redhead, redhead Ember. No way, started awesome. a whole entire thread, and so there's a bunch of messages in there, and there's some really funny ones. Oh, that's some things, awesome. some ones that I had actually forgotten about. So uh, oh, if anybody great. wants to have get in on that fun, head over to elfquest.com to the forums, and you can find that thread. Amazing. Um, to redhead Ember for doing that. Yeah, so so the next yep. big thing that happens is dun 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 dun. Larrigan makes his reappearance, um, and and obviously you know it's been thirty twenty thirty years or whatever since mm. the last time we saw him in the Shadow Stalker storyline, where he um, you know he was hunting the elves and eventually um, kind of came to see that his worldview of seeing the elves as just sort of mindless animals to be hunted. Um, was wrong, and he kind of went off to sort of rediscover himself. And we don't see him until now. And he's 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 rediscovered Ember's tribe because he has some kind of tumor or something going death. on, and and he's pretty much just about to die. And he wants to come and actually die with the elves and kind of redeem himself. I guess. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, potentially the only place where he's realized the only people or place where he feels at one or at peace or. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's, yeah, that's, that definitely seems to be his motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he maybe has been putting himself through a self-imposed penance definitely. maybe for these last several decades. Um, and now he, maybe he feels like he's, he's earned it to come back and sort of die in peace with these, these beings, these sort of. That he's hunted and, and killed and 
uh, for decades. Right. Apparently. Yeah. Right. And yeah. like you said, he's he's come back to redeem himself. Exactly. Yeah. So, so some really cool things that, um, on this page, um, the pages aren't numbered in this issue. So, uh, I'm not sure exactly the oh, page yeah. number, but it's, um, you know, Larrigan shows back up and they're all like, Oh my gosh. And he's like, yeah, you guys yeah, have an yeah. age. Obviously I have, but the, the next page, you know, Mender discovers that he's got, you know, something growing in his chest just by and, touching his back, which is yeah. so cool. Right. Mender yep. sense it right away. Yep. 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 And you could see the story in the panel too. You could see in the panel before Mender says that his expression you know, you know, even even if you didn't see the next. Oh pad, yeah, I see that. I'm tell, zooming in right now on yeah. my iPad. Yeah. By the by the way, yes. that position of Mender mm -hmm. is the classic Wendy Peeney line of beauty. That sort it of is. S S shaped, sort of lithe and sinuous nature, uh, physical nature that that the elves have for sure. You could see right there, and you know, it's some it's. It, it's something that's really easy to think about as a feminine quality. Yes. Because, um, you know, it's, it, again, it's sort of smooth and curvy and whatever. But right. that right there is a perfect example of the male line of beauty. Right. Um, right. And, you know, it's a male character. It's not, an, uh, it's not a position or a pose that is, has, says feminine at all. No. Um, yet it still has that S-curve to it. So Absolutely. I just noticed that. Yeah. Um, Good eye. The other thing that I is totally rad about this page mm -hmm. is the the bottom panel where um where larrigan is sort of cupping ember's hand in his, or her face in his hand mm -hmm. and we for the first time in uh, i think in the final quest i don't remember seeing it in the final quest special we see one of my favorite art techniques of wendy's and that is the sort of the colored pupil oh, um, yeah. which really made it made its its biggest debut i think we saw it before then but we never it, it really kind of hit hard in those first four issues of the hidden years those those really lushly watercolor painted ones and and we're seeing it here and it just i think it's such a great technique to set the elves apart and really emphasize their otherworldliness mm -hmm. um, instead of giving them black pupils you know certain elves under certain light conditions you know you see their pupils as a darker shade of their irises right um you know the, the natural you know the colored part of the eye and so um you see that there and you also see yes and this is just again adds to the amazingness of it that ember has sort of like a sparkly eyeshadow yeah effect. where'd you and, get that from <laughs> well i i am of the camp that thinks that you know what these are um you know the wolf riders have access to all sorts of natural materials that could be iridescent and colorful, sure. uh, different minerals in the soil, crushed up beetles could get, give that iridescent look, um, right. butterfly wing dust. So there's lots of different things that they could use. They could dry out berries and then mash them up into a powder. So I think it's, it's, it's a makeup effect. Um, mm -hmm. I, uh, in, in conversations that have happened online, others think it's just sort of a, a natural it, biological yeah like right. manifestation of the fact that these are creatures that shape change themselves to be beautiful according to human standards of beauty and it's just part of their mystical sort of magical appeal their visual appeal and so i'll, I'll buy that too but i yeah. i like the idea of them crushing up beetle carapaces Natural. And yeah yeah that's uh, yeah right. so but it's anyway i love the fact <laughs> that that detail was in there yeah it's it's funny because now that you've pointed that out, we've never actually seen any elves applying makeup, right? And yet they're they're wearing eyeshadow. But yeah, I wonder if it's if it's just uh, things they find in the environment. Or I was actually thinking the same thing that maybe it's some manifestation of powers. Or it seems to be only the females that have this eyeshadow type 
makeup. So yeah. I was and it's only a few of them too. Yeah, it's basically Lita Ember now. Dushine does sometimes. I don't know that I've ever noticed Dushine. It's Nightfall is the one, the other one that I oh, was yeah? going to but I wonder if it, it would be if it's a biological thing, if it's a way to attract a mate, but they wouldn't need that given that they already have recognition. Right, yeah. Well, if anything, I like the idea that it is sort of, it's sort of an innate part of their their sort of, ma- a manifestation of their innate magic, a physical manifestation of it that is designed to make them look sort of sparkly and beautiful to humans, almost like the elf quest version of fairy glamor, if you will. Oh, and that was smart. Yeah. And that's actually Rob Biskisa's sort of theory. He, he, he put that out there, I think on Facebook Mm -hmm. and that actually made me stop for a second and think, okay, maybe that is a really cool idea. Yeah. And maybe, maybe they aren't crushing up beetles, but I still like the beetle idea. So I'm sticking with it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, until we, we see them actually applying it or, or manifesting it as some, form of magic then i guess we can kind of go with whatever we want whatever theory we like yep and you know what that's one this is a great example of something that i highly doubt we're ever going to get a definitive answer out of wendy and richard in the story or otherwise on this Mm -hmm. and you know what it doesn't matter well because either lita in the palace with a compact and she's (laughs) you know powdering her nose then yeah it's pretty much up to our conjecture. Exactly. And that, that's a detail that it doesn't really matter what the answer is. You know, no. like let the fans interpret it as they will. It doesn't really make a difference really to anything, you know, as far as the you know the story and the story arc and the canon and all that. So, you know, let's have some fun with it and not actually sort of beat the story into submission and, and answer every last single minutia. You know, I like the fact that there's some things that, you know, we'll never get a definitive answer on, but right. it, it's kind of fun. Yeah, it is. It is because it allows you as a reader to come up with your own explanations. And sometimes that's even better than what a creator would necessarily give you. Sure. Yeah. 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 At least to you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, we just spent about seven minutes talking about eyeshadow. On Elf. So so <laughs> I, I think we need to start naming these episodes um, with something funny. And, like, this one be, you know. Beetle eyeshadow, or I don't know. Right. You know, yeah. Funny. Episode something. seven. Yeah. <laughs> um, Beetle eyeshadow. Um, well, you know just... what I really like about this, though, with Larrigan? Um, mm-hmm. Just how Wendy uh, illustrates him in these panels and really yeah. gives that sense of age. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's amazing how she, her skill and talent as an artist is incredible. I mean, yeah, we all she... know that, but it's just amazing. Like, it's so well done how he looks like such an old man it's just yeah. incredible what she wendy can do. does wendy does old age really well i mean look at look at his hand in that middle panel yeah he's saying you know leave it healer my last hunt is done and he's just kind of holding up his sort of gnarled bony. gnarled bony hand and yet and it, it's kind of beautiful with the lines in his oh, it's hand. totally Those, beautiful. that's exactly like what i was talking about the line of beauty it's there too in in this old gnarled hand right it's totally. amazing mm-hmm. that's exactly what i was just gonna say so yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, I don't know what else there is to say about yeah, that, but then great. he rocks. <laughs> you know what I, I want to say about Larrigan, though, uh, and, and Wendy's uh, talent at illustrating? It's so incredible. But there was a picture posted uh, a few months back on the ElfQuest.com page, yep. and it was a character model sheet for Larrigan, and it was done by Wendy back in the 90s, I think, uh, when the anthology series was still out. Did you see that? 
Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. I wish that that had been published back in the anthology series when it was produced. It's just beautiful artwork. And it's yep. his face, and then uh, you get a full-body um, drawing, plus his dog, Maury, uh, which is also beautifully rendered, this dog. Uh-huh. It's so dynamic. Yep. Um, just the way yep. Wendy drew this dog. Uh, Wendy's art, it's... And this, when I looked at this drawing, it, it typified it for me, how timeless. There's a timeless quality about her art. And it evokes something for me um, with old animation, like from the 40s, for uh-huh. some reason, uh, like the Fleischer cartoons. There's something really classic, classical, classic. Uh, and there's this animation quality to it, too. Uh, yeah. It's just these melding of these these different styles that Wendy can do it's just fantastic but there's something timeless about all of it about Uh her work yeah well well i mean it's it really is unique there really isn't anybody else that is 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 drawing you know comic art or or art in general that i know of that has a style anywhere remotely like this i mean you have like full-blown anime manga style artists japanese you know classic japanese style comics artists and then you have um, you know, really stylized art, and um, I don't know. There's just nobody that has that that sort of particular combination of elements that you were just talking about, mm-hmm. kind of all woven into their their art style. I mean, I've never seen anybody else that that kind of draws like this, and that um, you know that that's kind of their signature. And I and that's another thing that I love about Elfquest because it's kind of unique. It is. It's very unique. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, that's what sets it apart. But um, okay, so we've got Larrigan uh, talking with Ember, and then he's uh, he mentioned something about, um, or that might be later about reincarnation. No, no, that's right here. Is that right here? Yeah, that's right here. And so, yeah, that this is another thing that I thought was really awesomely handled. So, if you read the original um, recognition special and then the the second issue that is up online, mm-hmm. it goes a lot more in depth about this whole reincarnation um, idea, and it's presented as fact. Like this is what happens to humans, and that always kind of uh, bothered is maybe you. too strong a word, but uh, number one, it just it seemed. If that's what happens to humans, then, you know, how come we're just hearing about it now? Or how come no other human cultures are really talking about it? Where is this coming from? It just seemed kind of thrown in there out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really jive with anything else that we had sort of known or or seen before as far as the human cultures of ElfQuest. But even more than that, honestly, I don't care where humans go after they die. I like ElfQuest because of the elves. Right. And so going back to your earlier comment about... Um, you know, the idea that this Wendy and Richard's retelling of the events of recognition is a little bit more elf centric. Um, I think this is a, this, the way that this plays out in, in the final quest issue number one captures that because, you know, it's just a couple of panels and, and Larrigan is kind of explaining what he thinks happens. And at the end he says, you know, anyway, that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. And that little, that little phrase thrown in there is just makes all the difference in the world. You know, it could be, Maybe not. Maybe that's just his belief, kind of like real life. Um, you know, everybody's different beliefs and, you know, whatever. And so I just thought that was really beautifully handled and it completely skirted or sort of solved the issue of having to get into this, like, again, this really sort of nitty gritty, uh, extraneous detail about what happens to humans after they die. Um, right. 
Yeah. It's it's really not necessary for us to know, right? Of course, right? Yeah. I mean, we're reading for the elves, like you say. It's it's Elf Quest. We're reading right. about the elves, so yeah. yeah. And I don't mind a you know human character thrown no, in there here and there, and and some of them are really fascinating. In fact, Larrigan is one of my favorite human characters. Yeah, but, he's really compelling. Um, but of course, the best part about this whole scene is yes. at, you know Larrigan gets through telling the elves about oh yeah, we're going to be reborn and come back and do it right, and Crim's response is like what. So no matter how many times we, we kill you, we can't be rid of you for good. That stinks. And it's just like, again, so in character yeah, and just kind of genius because it's exactly what I was thinking too. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Lord. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, he's going to come back again. Great. And, exactly, and yeah. like kill some more elves. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so, so, right. So that right after that, then we, you know, Krim comes into the scene with that, that comment and that makes Larrigan basically say, hey, you were so much like, the, you know, this, this, this other this, elf that I killed. Right. This, right. you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, what does he call her? Like Threx's uh, own demon a, queen. With a sword arm, like Threx's own demon queen. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, you know, pretty. In the snow country she was. Descriptive of, of Kavi, right? So we know right away the, who he's talking about. Totally. Yeah. And then he pulls out the braids and, um, you know, and then. And the, we have the, Yun and Krim uh, looking at the braid and I guess, uh, what does it say? Stun the two go-backs, touch the shining lock of hair, catch the faded but all-too-familiar scent, so they can still s- catch the scent of Kavi right. on these birds. So, so, you know, you were saying before, you know, it's sort of, is it up in the air if she's dead or not? I mean, I think that's pretty, I mean, who knows, but I have a feeling that that... Yeah, and given the, what Wendy said on the forum in Ask Elf Mom uh, eight right. years ago... Right. More. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, she said that Cavi's dead, and yeah. she wants to tell her tale, and it's a tale that Wendy plans on telling us, uh, but that she's in spirit form now. So, right. but right. whether at this point in the story she actually is dead, I think is the question. Right. I'm yeah. I'm going to go with yes, she is. Well, right. I mean, it, 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 if she's not dead mm-hmm. at this point in the story, then Larrigan, what he's it, saying can't be true. Or he thought she was dead. Well, that's true. Could be. But something tells me that if Larrigan killed an elf... He would know. He would know. And, he and especially yeah. what he says a couple of pages later, that Kavi actually gave him the braid as sort of a token of respect. That's right. So He trained him to kill her. Right. And that's a story that I'm dying to find out. Yeah. Because I, I can't I, imagine how that could ever come to pass. But Well, and, my guess is that she was so heartbroken over what happened to Tildak that she felt no reason to go on anymore and so oh, she trained she trained this human to kill her she didn't want to go out like jumping off a cliff or something she wanted to go out in a blaze of glory fighting but she had okay. to train somebody to kill her because she was uh so adept as a warrior that nobody else right. could compete right she would well that's mm-hmm. that's yeah that makes so much sense now that you say it that way um, and uh, also another one of those, like, kind of like, oh, duh, yeah, right. Because <laughs> yeah. two minutes ago, I was like, I just can't possibly imagine how that could happen. And then you just explained it. And that seems very <laughs> plausible. It would also answer the question that I was just going to say is that not only did she train him mm-hmm. to kill her mm-hmm. and obviously taught him the elf language, because that's one of the first things that we learn about Larrigan when he first appears in the Wild Hunt storyline is that he knows the elf language, right? Mm. He speaks to them in their own language. Yes. But but yet, he still thinks of them as animals. So that has, that's always something that has really intrigued me. It's like, how do you learn the language? How do you be around them enough to learn their language 
and and you know that would require living with them practically, right? Right. And so, how do you how do you have that level of knowledge about them and their ways and again their language, and still not realize that they're not that they're more than just mindless demons or animals for you to right. go out and kill? Yeah. So so now that's my question here. So Kavi trained him. She probably taught him how to speak the language, mm-hmm. and you know maybe she raised him up from a baby or picked him up as a teenager or whatever, and and gave his life purpose by doing this. Um, and maybe she oh. did it in isolation of all the other elves. Mm-hmm. And then he left after that and, and devoted his life to going hunting the elves using the skills that she taught him. Wow. That makes sense to me. Yeah, that seems crazy, though. I mean, if, like you said, she raised him, then, I mean, what, what would spur him on then to go and kill other elves? You would think that he would have some sort of... Um, admiration or okay well so so this is Kavi affection we're talking about. yes so Kavi raising you mm-hmm. is not a warm and fuzzy maternal experience no that's true and <laughs> so which 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 we'll get to to the tear connection here in a second because yes. it's directly relevant to that what i just said but mm-hmm. um but when i said raised him i yeah. kind of was thinking about it in the way that uma thurman's character in kill bill was raised by the like samurai. Okay, so maybe trained. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. Like I mean, like, she could like, have taken him under her wing when he was uh, a young adult and trained him for a exactly. period of time, right? And treated yeah. him like shit. Right. Um, while she was like doing boot camp. it. Tra- yes. Like boot yes, camp. Like boot that, camp. Yeah. That's right. kind of what I was thinking when I said kind of raised him. And I only say that because obviously to get that level of skill and to learn a language doesn't happen over the course of two months, you know. I would imagine that it was several years, and she must have been a, a, a mega bitch to him. Yeah. For him to leave that experience and have this sort of um, positive encounter with her at the very end when she gave him the braids, but then to still go on and say, all right, well, that was a demon that I just killed. I'm going to go now earn my money by going and killing these, you know, maybe he was so pissed and bitter because she was so mean to him. Right. That, that is really what fueled. Who knows? I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Right. And find maybe out. he thought all of them were like her. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Well, that actually, that's a fascinating theory. You know how you know Kavi sort of the dark side of Kavi could have far-reaching negative consequences. It's almost like Bearclaw. Yeah. You know, Bearclaw's darkness led to the creation of Mad Coil and right. his feud with the with the humans and the spirit man and so maybe this is another example of that where you know kavi's you know her, her, the black side of kavi side. um sort of poisoned larrigan and led to and, the deaths and, of other elves right which by the way i i've always wondered about that too like who were these who elves he, that he did was he killing? kill it must have been gobacks it must have been because uh, or unknown elves i mean we know uh, yeah. that there are there are offshoots of the Gobeks that were wandering around on the plains of Junsland, right? right? Because that's where Tyr came from. Yes. Um, and Tyr's, you know, his father and who, the other wandering elves or whatever. So, so well, it could have been some of those elves too. There's, there's certainly other tribes of elves that we haven't met yet, and I'm, I'm certain that we're going to meet them in this series. I think there's going to be at least a couple of other tribes. I hope so. I want to see more elves. Me too. Um, and I don't want overload, though. I don't want it to be like, oh, there's ten tribes that we've never seen before. Right. Well, but like well, two or three would be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I definitely think that there's more room for more elf uh, elves. Although you run you run the risk, 
you know, of what you were complaining about or expressing um, distaste for the wave dancers. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the reason that you don't like them is that they're in, in some ways kind of extraneous characters, right? Yes. So, so if Wendy and Richard introduce a bunch of new tribes, there's not going to be enough time and space to really give them, um, you know, enough character mm-hmm. development. And so you might feel the same thing, um, you know, if, if yeah. that happens. Now, yeah. that said, I want to see more elves, so I'm with you. I vote for two or three more tribes. Um, but that also ties into Tyr, because what we learn... And again, this is not news because this scene happened in almost exactly like we see it on the final quest in the recognition special issue. Yes. But Tyr, you know, gets hold of these braids of Kavi's mm-hmm. and has this like weird flashback, flashback to infancy of her essentially abandoning him. Yeah, it's like and, he went on a really bad LSD trip and now he's having like crazy flashbacks to it. Exactly. Yeah. And um, and so so I mean, the clear indication there. Mm-hmm. Is that Tyr is Kavi's son? Okay, so I have issues with that. Okay, but, well, let me say this, and <laughs> right. it, it might it might address your issue. Yes, um, that doesn't bother me. Okay, while I definitely, I could totally see, and and I think it would be just as cool if you know there were just these you know nameless elves that were not connected to anybody mm-hmm. that produced Tyr. Um, I also. I, I am totally fine with this idea that there really just aren't that many elves, you know, and that and that the fact that you know Kavi is Two Spears' daughter, and 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 if Tyr does actually end up being Kavi's son, mm-hmm. it, it you know if there really are only on this planet, you know, a few dozen of these beings alive at any given time, mm-hmm. th- that doesn't seem out of out of the question, especially when you consider how long lived they are. Right. And th- so, so those kinds of connections, I know it bothers some fans. Yes. Uh, Luna cat, actually Luna cat. We're giving you another shout out. Um, is very, um, very against that. And she okay. has written, you know, very, you know, well thought out reasons why we she doesn't like that idea on sure. the forums. Yes. Um, again, for me personally, that it doesn't bother me that much. Um, for the, for that reason, because again, if you think that if, if if there are indeed only that many elves out there, then it makes sense that they're all going to be somehow connected or related. That makes sense. Um, but you tell me I why. See, I see you. what you're saying, and I'm going to speak in defense of Lunacat. I guess okay. <laughs> when I say my piece, um, for one, I think it's a bit too convenient uh, having Kavi be Tears' mother, um, just because it's the idea that every character has to be connected through familial lines to every other character uh it kind of stretches believability i find yeah um I'll buy that. yeah it just makes everything a bit too convenient uh oh you know so and so is your father and you never knew it's kind of like the the darth vader effect um, right and i definitely think that that can be overkill and yeah and i, and I have to agree with you that if indeed kavi is two spears daughter yeah having her be then mother? Tyr's mother could, does it, maybe get danger, dangerously into that sort of o- using a um, uh, a device in the story maybe too much. I, um, so especially for one specific character, right, where it would be Kavi. Right. Um, so her father's Two-Spear and then her son was, would be Tyr. That would just be, I think, overkill. Also, um, we, we kind of did get an origin story for Tyr to some extent. Right. Hidden years where we saw him with his who he called his mother mm-hmm. and his father and then he had a, a brother I think he had one brother right. um, and so these were 
an offshoot of the um, uh, Gobacks who were ousted from the frozen mountains by Rayek after he made the uh, the huge crevasse with his magic. There was a group of Gobacks who were um, barred from getting back to the Goback Lodge. So they seemed to become wanderers and over the course of 10,000 years um, ended up, some of them at least, becoming plains elves. Right. Even though they've never been designated that within the story but that's right seems to be the lifestyle they were living there were nomads and they were living on the plains in Jundland. um and so we got a look back at uh, tears family as he was growing up and he was right. a kid um and it showed him with this male elf who he called his father who taught him how to use his powers mm-hmm. and uh then he mentions his mother and his brother uh leaving at some point right. to go away yeah. with another wandering tribe um, so he, whether those people were his actual biological parents is now up in the air. Uh, right, you know, right. It's possible Cavi actually is his mother. And at some point she, maybe she hooked up with uh, these plains elves and, and then took right. off. And this other female elf was his mother, in quotes, uh, for all intents and purposes, while he was yeah. growing up. It's either that or that particular detail of that story is something that it, Wendy and Richard have chosen to not weave into this. That's possible, too. You know, like we were talking about earlier. And I forgot to mention, too, that Richard actually wrote a really great uh, blog post or, or, or entry onto the ElfQuest website mm-hmm. um, about th- that issue. Um, hang on. I've got it because um, I, I want to mention okay. the actual name of the thread. I'm just clicking on it while, while we're looking. While looking that up, I'm just going to mention that if that is the case, that... For one thing, we don't know that Cavi actually is Two Spears' daughter. It's right. possible that she's Grey Wolf's daughter. Ab- absolutely, Willow, yeah. Right? Yeah. But if she is Two Spears' daughter, that would mean that Tyr is Two Spears' grandson, which would make right. him Blood of Chiefs. But totally. But would that also be kind of a weird, incestuous thing with Ember? <laughs> not... Uh, generations not, removed? Well, number one, they're generations removed. And number two... They are elves and they are magical beings yeah. and they have different biology than us. And that right. the, 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 that's the other thing where I feel like it's I, – I, I generally want to bang my head against the wall as soon as you start talking about elf and genetics, that yeah. and timelines. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're like, like the toxic the conversations. From now on for every episode. <laughs> no, just know that, I, that, I, that I make it cranky. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I found the, the post. It's called The Thunder of Cannon Fire. And of course, Richard being Richard has done a play on the spelling of the word cannon as the, you know, the, the weapon, which is C-A-N-N-O-N. And then cannon as in like, you know, what is part of the official canon of the storyline, which only has one N in the middle. So, um, yeah, Richard having fun there. But anyway, folks should go read that because it really explains Wendy and Richard's perspective on this, again, this whole idea of weaving in all of these various storylines, many of which were written and drawn by other people and that their perspective on, you know, as the original creators telling this, this final quest tale, their, per, their, their sort of opinion and perspective and decision on how to go about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, folks should definitely read that. If you have any, if you're having any trouble reconciling you know some of the things that might be different or contradictory in the final quest to things that you have seen elsewhere mm, okay that's a good yeah. uh yeah that's a good little reference people should check that out yep and it's it's like three posts down on elfquest.com if you just go to the home page you'll you'll see it and you can um, link to it and of course all of the posts that are going up on elfquest.com all automatically generate a discussion thread in the forum so if you have thoughts about it 
that's the place to put it out there. And Richard, I'm sure, will be reading them. And, you know, Richard is fairly uh, – he's not sure. super active, but he's fairly active on the he's forum. He's on there so. quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. And he responds to, exactly. uh, to comments. Um, so, well, give us the basic gist of that in context with what we're talking about here with Tier. Well, I mean, I, 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 I'd have to reread it again in details, but the, okay. the, the, the basic gist that I took away from it mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, that Wendy and Richard invited all these other folks in so they could tell more ElfQuest stories. And, you know, at this at this stage, you know, years down that, you know, they, they recognized that some of those stories and art were better than others. And some things maybe weren't exactly what they would have chosen to do themselves. And that as creators... You know, it's their decision on what is actually canon, mm-hmm. and um, and they're going to make that decision, and it, that doesn't bother them. Right. And you know, I, I'm looking at it right now, um, and you know, uh, here's a quote from it. You know, does that bother us? Not really. We feel we're in some pretty good company. Star Trek, Star Wars, most of the big names from Marvel and DC universes all have different sort of iterations of their canon. You know, what do you like better, Stan Lee or Jack Kirby's X Men comics in the 1960s? Or Brian Singer's cinematic version from a week, a few weeks ago. Hmm. Don't restrict yourself. It's all right to enjoy both or neither. I'm reading it right now, so um, yeah. so anyway, I won't read the whole thing. But no. I, again, I think people should go read it, and that's that's the perspective that Wendy and Richard are coming from. You don't mm-hmm. have to agree with it, but you know, for good or for ill, that's the way that they're telling the final quest. So well, I know maybe I, we'll find out that 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 those that that flashback from Tear, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe that that just will be ignored and it won't really be woven in here. Or like you just suggested, maybe Tear thinks that those were his parents. And the fact that this scene in the final quest uh, issue number one is drawn the way it is. What did you say? It's like he's he's on like a bad acid trip or whatever yeah. uh, with that weird sort of purple lighting. Mm-hmm. He he obviously doesn't know Kavi. No, no. Definitely not. But the indication is that you know she's walking out the door. You see him as a little infant. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 he de- and and that he has this abandonment issue. So the indication is that it was actually her that was his mother. But clearly he doesn't know that. So it would make sense to me that those other elves that we see in that flashback yeah. back in hidden years, right? Maybe were you know maybe they adopted him too. You know it's we were possible. talking about yeah. So so who knows? That would make sense. Yeah. But I mean, actually, I mean, we'll find Wendy out. and Richard know. They do. They do. <laughs> The high ones. Um, so, you know what, though? Uh, Wendy's made comments on Facebook, too, with regards to Tears' parentage. And they've all been very sort of uh, maybe a bit of red herrings. When people have said, oh, Kavi's his, Kavi's his mom, people have stated that as though it were a fact. And Wendy's responded by saying, like, is he? Dot, dot, dot. Or is she? No. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, you yeah, know, so don't, don't trust a word of what either of the two of them say yeah. on social media because yeah. they delight in throwing us off course. Right. So, <laughs> right. So, I mean, it, it remains to be seen whether or not, you know, our our guesses as to whether Cavi's his mom or not are, is it actually the case. You know, we'll have to just wait and see. But as yeah. it stands right now, just given this flashback that he's having, that seems to be the direction they're going in. But that could be a huge red herring that they're just throwing totally. in our path totally. you know and then so, we're going to get some huge like new twist right yeah well and again we're just gonna have to wait and see you know and they could just be manipulating us to think into thinking that Cavi's his mom and everybody's freaking out about it and talking about it and then it'll turn out right. to not be the case at all so you know the, the the one instance in life that i'm absolutely okay being manipulated is when mm-hmm. wendy and richard <laughs> me too <laughs> because it makes yes. the story fun it you know does. i mean i like yeah. i like 
all the speculation and who knows if we're right or wrong, but you know, like you said, we'll just have to wait and see. Definitely. All right. So moving on. Mm -hmm. um, So this all goes down. Tear freaks out. Ember comforts him. You know, we get Larrigan talking to Krim and telling her that, you know, Kavi trained me and I killed her and she gave me these braids as respect, but I can understand that you want to kill me. And that's kind of what I want you to do anyway. I love Um, her face there when she's uh, shouting at Larrigan. Mm-hmm. Um, she just looks so riled up. It's just a really well done. Oh yeah, drawing of her. Yeah. Yep. And Pike desperately yeah. trying to keep her holding check. her back as usual. <laughs> it seems like almost every scene where we see the two of them, he's trying to hold her back. Yeah. From going off on somebody. Totally. Well, you know, it's funny because Krim and many other go backs, and and this is even referenced all the way back in Siege of Blue Mountain when I think it's Mardu mouths off to um to Rayek right after Kavi tells him that uh that that the baby died mm-hmm. and he and he whacks her in the face and he's like all of you female go backs ready mouth females take after your damn chief mm-hmm. and it's kind of true i mean not everyone obviously but the and it's almost like the 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 go back the go back women almost take it like like they almost go overboard with it cuz Kavi herself is a lot more cool and calm and collected yeah. You know, Kavi almost never gets enraged. She kind of smirks and she'll chop your head off, but she never gets enraged the way that Krim does. And it's almost like, you know, the hero worshiping thing that they seem to have with, with Kavi, they take it like that next step further than even Kavi goes. Sure. Well, it seems uh, like the strongest personalities amongst the go-backs have always been females. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Scott was pretty much happy-go-lucky. Yeah. Yif is really the only other male. Well, no, I take that back. Zay. Yif. And Valk. Day, right? And Chot. Yeah. But yeah. Chot was a goofball. Chot was kind of a goofball. And yeah. Zay was a little bit of a kind of a, for lack of a better word, a, a total jerk. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, the other two named go-backs that sort of got a little bit of screen time, the males anyway, were, mm-hmm. were Yif and Valk. And both mm-hmm. of them, you know, they just seemed sort of, you know, they were happy, you know, go-back warriors. Valk played the flute. He shared Kavi's furs. That's pretty much all we know about them. That's but it. you're right. You never see a really sort of in-your-face male go back in the same way mm-hmm. that you see in-your-face female go back. Right. So, right. Like even even looking at Mardu, you know, she was second in command at at one point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then, of course, you've got Krim and Kavi and Yun and um, Vaya even. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. All, well, these, I... all these really strong female personalities right. within the go back tribe who we know quite a bit about um whereas like you said with the with the male go backs they're a little bit more secondary right exactly mm-hmm. um well so, so so speaking of 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 go backs the first thing that comes to my mind is battle and that's what happens next we see this rapid fast-paced scene mm-hmm. um where the escalation the, into full-out war basically totally yeah where anger john Turns on the um, the long riders, kills their leader, whose name I'm, is actually escaping me. But you learn all about his backstory in Mender's Tale, which is up on on the online comics, even the unpublished portions. Yeah. Um, so if you're wondering who that guy is, you can go read up on him. But um, yeah, so the Jun turns on the long riders and basically starts bombing their town with flaming catapults. And this is where we get like some hardcore stuff, like violence on the level that we really haven't seen in ElfQuest, I would say since the original battle for the palace with the trolls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see we see like a, 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 a Junsman stabbing a mother 
in the back, full in the full frame, at her dropping her infant. Well, and that uh, long rider leader, whatever his name is, uh, mm-hmm. there's that one panel where, um, help me out here, what's the name of the Jun's son? Oh, uh, L- Lodok. Yeah, Lodok. Lodok puts a, a blade through the back of his neck and it comes out through his throat. Yeah. In that one panel. Yeah. yeah. You know what? That didn't bother me as much. And maybe it's just me being um, gender norm stereotypical because he's like a man and a warrior. Mm-hmm. And it didn't bother me as much as the next page where you see the mother getting stabbed and the baby, you know, falling to the ground, yeah. knowing that that baby's just going to die there. Right. Um, or even worse, that they're going to stab it. And then the next panel where you see the little girl in in flames yeah you know and you see them you know running in terror and it's just it's it's totally chilling yeah well the the violence throughout is really um graphic and yeah very disturbing yeah i which, mean which, just a little kid gets burnt yeah which i'm not um that's not a complaint mind you no I, no I, I think that um elf quest is best at a at least a pg-13 level mm-hmm. um and so uh, i think having that weight is actually really good for the story. And I think readers are used to seeing it nowadays. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, it might have been different back in the late 70s, early 80s. But um, I feel like you kind of need to have a little bit of that grit in here for in sure. order to make ElfQuest kind of compete in the in the marketplace of 2014. Not only that, but for the story as well. I mean, we, we need to know what the stakes are. We need to know what the elves are up against. This is what they're up against. They're exactly. up against these types of warriors who are willing to kill mothers holding their babes in their arm. You know? Right. Uh, and that and that's and that's exactly what prompts the next scene, which is Corbasi mm-hmm. basically begging Ember, like, God, I can't watch these these babies being killed and slaughtered. Please let me go rescue some. And and poor Ember is like, God, you know, my, my tribe has to come first, but then she gives in because she knows that he's right. Yeah. And he, he runs off um to, to rescue some, some cubs, human mm-hmm. cubs, and then um and then we see a scene of Ember being a good leader. Yes, which she isn't always. Uh, and so I think she's, she's learned a lot in the last uh, twenty or so odd years that have passed um, over totally. the, the yeah. course of the Final Quest special. Right? We, well, I mean, she's learned a lot as a chief. I definitely think she's um, figured out that you know she needs to get the support of her tribe in any decision I, that she makes. And I think that was the whole point of the scene is to sort of show that. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, and you got to remember too that Ember at this point in her life is older than Cutter throughout the entire original quest, Siege of Blue Mountain, and the entire first half of Kings of the Broken Wheel. Wow! Think about that. Yeah. So she's no she's really? no slouch in the chief department. She's you know again she's she's pushing fifty, so she's got some experience under her belt mm-hmm. uh, at this point in the game. So mm-hmm. um, so I think it makes sense that she is wise enough to know when to tell people to you know. You know, shut up and do, and 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 to know the difference between when you need to do that and when you get input from your tribe. And that's something that Cutter learned too, back um, you know in the in the Blue Mountain phase of the original quest. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so so they're you know they're lamenting the fact that they're going to lose another halt, um, and of course Sust and Krim want to go you know get revenge on the humans and um, and before anybody can make a decision about anything, Wildcard Tear snaps. And goes running uh, off, yeah. you know, to basically, I don't know what the right word is. I'm, yeah. I wanted to just sort of sit I'm him down. And, so frustrated and, with him. <laughs> yeah, in this issue. Yeah, well, I mean, what's no he doing? He's he's uh, he's like you said, he's a wild card. 
he's so unreliable. He can't he can't do that. He's part of a tribe and he's just running off doing his own thing, putting totally. himself in danger and and then his other tribe members in danger by default because yeah. by because uh, of course they're going to go after him I know. and defend him and and probably get sucked into the fray, which is of course exactly what happens, but um, I mean, no doubt from a storytelling point of view, it makes for a great a great action scene and it really propels the story forward of course. over the next couple of pages before the you know, we're almost at the end of the issue, but yeah. um but yeah, I think it's also an example of tier just being a little bit unstable right now. I mean, yeah. we know he's he's just you know it's obvious that they're hinting at a recognition with him and Ember, mm-hmm. and we know and then that he elves, has mommy issues apparently, and it, right? And then he has mommy issues exactly, and he's like you know this sappy, hopeless romantic the one moment, and then the next moment he's like you know a going lunatic. on this like you know berserker rage to go probably in his mind protect the tribe, but. You know, Tyr is just kind of naive. I think that's the right word. Um, he just, he's been a loner for so long that he doesn't, he still doesn't know how to act in a tribe. And you know what? That goes back to exactly what Dushine said about to him mm-hmm. in, in the Final Quest special that we talked about. So just I having bet. this conversation is making yeah. me kind of connect some dots. Yeah. That actually makes what Tyr is doing in this, in this episode, this issue, make a little bit more sense to me. Yeah, that he still doesn't know how to quite belong to a tribe, He's a and he doesn't man. think about consequences no. in the same way that you know any one of the other wolf riders that grew up in this family would take for granted. Like, don't put your tribe at danger. Right. Tears in his mind. He's like, oh, I'm gonna like help out. I'm let me go do this. Yeah. Not but realizing think, that he's gonna suck everybody else in. You would think after all this time, though, he would have learned uh, how to better function within the group. Um, but I guess what. 10,000 years. I mean, how old is he? He must be like, Oh, who knows? You know, yeah. but he's, he's old. Um, maybe that's hard to get rid of that. Uh, even after, you know, 40, 50 years of living with a tribe that right. thousand years worth of living alone. Right. Must have an effect on you. But yeah, he's a loose cannon. It's actually referred to, um, here there's a, it says impulsively following her feral love mate and right. pulse at the thicket's edge. Yeah. He's a, He's feral. He's he's gone feral at least yeah, for the moment. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, he's so lost yeah, so his mind basically. So he you know does his elf ninja moves where they can mm-hmm. jump around and you know kind of be weightless and almost flying and chops up the catapults and of course Krim is like ha 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 let's go yeah out comes her sword and she dashes into the fray mm-hmm. um, and so you know Ember then is left to sort of make a snap decision. So now on, they're all in the thick of it, right? They've right. all got to so, go in and and right. help so, out. So she gets some of her strongest warriors, Pike and Sust and Mender, mm-hmm. and off they go after Krim and um, and Tyr. But she wisely leaves some good warriors behind, Yun, Scouter, and of course uh, Pool is is a you know a, a great archer. Mm-hmm. So they're hiding in the trees, and um, and the last page is um, oh wait before we get to the last page, mm-hmm. one another one of my favorite panels, and I actually made this the cover of the Facebook fan page for a while is, you know, tear, you know, he slashes a couple of the catapults and then a Junsman is, is, is coming, coming down on him about to kill him. And he says, monster, you're mine. And Ember comes in and pulls a trick right out of her dad, dad's playbook yep. with the backhanded hold on her sword mm-hmm. and hamstrings the guy's warrior. leg. Yeah. And she says like, dung, he's yours. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and, and so, great. Little so, uh, callback to Cutter doing the same thing. Totally, and one yeah. of the the best things about Ember 
is how what a perfect blend of her parents she is. Definitely. And so, you know, we were talking about her her eyeshadow before. Mm-hmm. The thing that I love most about that is that she's taking after her mother. Mm-hmm. You know, Lita is another one that you know one of the old, the main ones that wears eyeshadow or has that eyeshadowy appearance to her lids. And here, a few pages later, we're seeing her basically being an exact mimic of her father. So right. it's kind of neat. Yeah, she's um, definitely a um, an equal combination of both parents. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess the last just I want to interject for a second. I think uh, she's definitely a swordswoman now, but there was a time where she was more of a, a spear. Um, she was using spear. As yeah, she felt more sword. comfortable yeah. with, with a spear. Right. So, um, yeah, there was that whole issue where, you know, when they first broke off from the main branch of the Wolf Riders, mm-hmm. where, you know, she was like, what, 15, yes. 16, maybe? 15. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it stands to reason that she probably wasn't fully versed in the, all, all the use of every single weapon. And not and, physically mature yet either. Right, and they actually made that point in mm-hmm. uh, in that in that issue. But uh, when Nightfall kind of beat the crap out of her, yeah. But uh, but uh, I think Nightfall says something like, "You're not at your full growth yet." So um, so, but yeah, and so in that issue of Hidden Years, they really sort of portrayed Ember. You know, maybe the spear's more your weapon, kind of like Huntress Skyfire. You mm-hmm. know, those were, that was her, and I actually always liked that. I, I did liked, too. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it kind of set Ember off. As much yes. as I like her being equal parts of her mother and father, mm-hmm. there also needs to be something unique about her. And I thought right. that was one thing that made her unique. But at the same time, I kind of like the idea that, you know, Cutter gave her this sword um, to represent her her chiefdom and um, and that she still has it and that maybe she's come into her own using it a little bit more um, than than in the past. And so I, I, I'm fine with it. It's not anything that really bothers me. But I, yeah, I would sense. love to see Ember... With a spear in her hand. Me too, at some point. That would be kind of cool because she yeah. obviously kind of uh, took a took to it as right, far as, exactly. as being uh, a spear holder. Right. And, wielding and, a- that, and that element of Ember's character really stuck through the entire um, Hidden Years and then into the Wild Hunt storylines. Because if you remember, um, you know, in the Shadowstalker storyline where Larrigan is introduced and where Scouter challenges her, mm-hmm. she's fighting... Like she's she has a spear when Scouter attacks her. That's right. And then he and then he smashes it, and that's when she pulls out her sword. Yeah. And then Scouter is obviously at, even at that point in time, which again would have been twenty plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Scouter is able to overpower her, probably because he's a better swordsman. Right. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens if you know if there's any further she development of that again. if she ends up picking up a spear i would love to see it me too i would love to see that too because like you said it was something that set her apart and made her kind of unique yep um but i mean it also makes sense in story that over the course of 20 or 30 years uh she's become a better swordswoman so right. you know maybe well, maybe uh, scouter was training her Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he did to, to make up for, um, you know, beating her up. But, yeah. um, the other thing you got to keep in mind too, is that they're just kind of sitting there when all this happens, it's not like they're prepared for war. No. So maybe she just didn't have a spear handy, mm-hmm. you know, it's and all she had was the knife in this scene because, right. you know, um, I guess her sword doesn't have a name. No, the it? only, no, I mean, there's the only swords that have names are cutter sword, new moon, and then tree stump sword, mourn howl. Right, which you know, yeah. So, um, which I always thought was kind of interesting, but I that they named that sword, and I'll wonder yeah. if anything will ever come of it if Tree Simple ever use it again. But, mm. um, mm. yeah, yeah. So, 
All right, so so we are on the last page of the issue, and yeah, sure. um, and so it's this dramatic finish where um, you know Ember saves Tyr, and then Larrigan actually goes in and saves Krim, who's also about to get chopped from behind by Junsman. And uh, Larrigan and his dog Shuey attack the the the, um, the Junsman guard and kill him. And that right there kind of changes Krim's tune a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, two minutes ago, she was ready to gut them herself, but she's like, you know what? I hate you, but I kind of like the way you kill. You know, her way of saying thank you for just saving her life. And then she admits at that point what you said about Kavi actually rings true. It sounds some, like something she would do. Mm-hmm. And then they make their pact that you know, help me kill the you know kill the Junsman and get to the Jun so I can you know get him, and I'll I'll, I'll make kill a quick you, which clean is end you of you. Exactly. And, and we'll they shake hands mm-hmm. and then it's a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that interesting? I just thought of that now. If in fact Larrigan killed Cavi, then Krim is sort of repaying the same favor to Larrigan. Oh yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. If your theory is right that 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 um well and and it's gotta be right on some level that Cavi wanted to go mm-hmm. because I can't imagine even Larrigan being able to kill her. If she didn't um, want unwillingly, to right. right. And so, yeah, so on some level, that's got to be what happened. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you're right. That's an interesting parallel. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So well, that's it, you know, if, you haven't, if you haven't read issue number two, we won't spoil it for you. Um, so I would say go get it. You can get it at darkhorse.com. You can download it for free. Or you can't download it for free. You can download <laughs> it from darkhorse.com. Um, I'm, so used to, I'm so used to promoting the free online comics yeah. that that just you know, sort of blurted out, but, um, but folks get the picture, um, go read issue number two and find out what happens. And then when you're done reading the issue, go back to episode one of this podcast, and then you can listen to us jabber on for a couple of hours about that issue. <laughs> yeah. Our first ever episode. Yeah. Um, so let me go back to my, uh, I have, a, I had a, you know, some notes here that I think we covered everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to hit before we close? Um, quickly, I just wanted to say uh, we didn't mention Sunstream. He's back in the palace, so he's raised Korofei, and now he's back in the palace to train with Tamin and Saba. Oh, right. That happens and in the very beginning. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it was yep. nice to see him back. Yeah. Um, I want to see Korofei grown up. We will. Yeah, oh, I know we will. <laughs> I, know. I want to see it now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I did too, but... Um, no, I'm looking forward to seeing what she looks like now. Yeah, yeah. I um, want to see her seafoam green hair. Yes, yes. And, and what her wings look like, her wing fins. Exactly, yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, there's one thing with um, the Wild Hunt in the anthology series. There was uh, some implication that there was a tribe of elves living on uh, the mountain that the that Amber's Wolf Riders were on. Yeah. I wonder if we're going to get any sort of... Um, uh, further information about that, or if that's just been a drop storyline, or what's going. I think I, I think we should hold on to that until we talk about um, issue number three. Okay, um, because there's a little bit more that kind of leads in that direction. I mean, we oh. I, I, I I won't spoil anything, but I also will say we we don't get an answer to that question. But there's some I think there's some relevant stuff in that issue. Really, that will lead us into that conversation. Okay, that's interesting because I missed whatever you're talking about. Oh, good. Well, then yeah. maybe that's where we'll pick up with when we uh, do our next episode, which will be uh, on Final Quest number three. Okay. Um, 
I think that pretty much covers... Oh, you know what I wanted to say, too? The cover of this issue was excellent. I loved it. Oh, yeah, with so the dynamic. cover howling. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. The covers so far of all of the issues, I don't think we've talked about the covers yet, but they've been great. It's great to see original Wendy Peeney art on the covers of the issues. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and if you notice, too, um, one thing that I noticed by looking at the Dark Horse website, where you mm-hmm. can actually see all of the covers all next to each other, mm-hmm. is that the special cover is sort of this glowing palace, light, bright, very elf questy you know, kind of spiritual, you know, adventure kind of thing. But then issues one, two, and three all have these dark, violent, kind of scary, you know, you got issue, you know, issue one is, you know, Ember and Cutter with their, and Tear with their swords out in a night sky with red moons. Issue number two is like blood spattering and Ember and Tear kind of cowering, defending themselves with the Jun kind of leering down on them. Mm-hmm. And then issue number three well, it's kind of a spoiler, but um, I'll just say that Anger of John is looking very menacing, and I won't say more about that if yes. anybody hasn't read it yet. But yeah. If uh, you haven't read it yet, you need to read it now. Yes, read it now so that you'll be ready when we do our next episode and get it up, which, as I said, at the very beginning of this this episode, which I think is going to end up being cut in two since we are at two hours and 35 minutes. <laughs> um, so maybe it was the episode before, depending on um, how that all breaks out. But at any rate... Um, our goal is to try to get this this episode or two episodes up and then record an episode or two about the final quest number three before the next issue comes out, which will be issue number four, um, which is going to be July 26th, I believe. Yeah. Um, and so that's our goal. And hopefully we'll be able to meet it. It's only we're recording this on July 2nd. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully we'll be able to do that. Yeah, I think um, we'll be able to. Yeah. So stay tuned. And um, with that, I guess we will call it a night. Uh, we're forgetting something. Oh, we're forgetting to our, like, our favorite flakes, our favorites right. and not so favorites. All right, so okay. you go first because I have to look at it again to decide. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, my favorite part of this issue was the coloring by Sonny. Okay, I think yeah, it's an amazing showcase of his talent as a colorist. Um, so we've got the beginning scenes with the Wolf Riders. Uh, he he's a master at depicting the night scenes in different yep. tones. We've got violets and blues and, um, and then we're in the palace with moonshade and skywise and sunstream. And we've got that sort of iridescent glowing magical mm-hmm. aura. Um, and then there's that beautiful, uh, page that full page of, uh, um, cutter and strongbow in silhouette. And it's that stylized graphic. Yeah. Uh, that Wendy uses um, with that Sonny's used uh, these reds and oranges and yellows to really uh, emphasize the the violence of killing this uh, this deer. Um, mm-hmm. It's just really powerful. And then we're back to these beautiful night tones. He's a master at doing this. The the night scenes with yeah. the Wolf Riders really yeah. evocative and effective. Totally. Um, and uh, it's interesting because. All of the scenes with the uh, the Wolf Riders, they're all in tones of blues and, and these and violets, these night tones. And then you get to this war with the humans, and it's all these bright fire colors with the reds and oranges, and it's very violent and, and, and uh, bright. Um, yep. Yeah, it's just, uh, I just think he did a fantastic job with the colors. Yeah, Sonny actually wrote a, uh, I think it was a Facebook post, kind of talking about 
I think while he was coloring this issue, how, you know, normally, conventionally, you think of like the dark colors, the purples, the blacks, the indigo blues as sort of the colors of evil and menace and the bright colors, the oranges and the yellows and maybe even the reds as being warm warm and welcoming. Mm -hmm. But in this story, it's completely flipped on its head because you have sort of the quote unquote good guys, the Wolf Riders being this nocturnal tribe Mm -hmm. and the bad guys like kind of, you know, pillaging with fire and and menace and i can't i he totally got it he got that exactly he captured that sentiment perfectly like those scenes where the battle is happening Mm -hmm. where you have those like it's almost like a sickly red orange yellow palette that is menacing it makes you want to crawl back into the nice cool dark embrace of the forest and be Mm -hmm. safe Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yes that was uh, brilliantly put um, my dislike of this issue is Tyr, um, just in general. I don't like how he's acting. I think right. he's acting recklessly, and he's a loose cannon, and yeah, I guess he's, you know, having some issues with everything that's going on. He's on the cusp of recognition. He's yeah. having his mommy issues, um, potential mommy issues. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's just not putting the good of the tribe uh, first. He's acting solely um, out of his own um, ego, I would say, his own needs as opposed right. to the needs of his tribe. And he's effectively putting them in danger. And so he's being entirely irresponsible. Yeah. No, and, I, I... Uh, also, the fact that he's being so clingy with Ember, too, and just I just find it cloying and kind of annoying. Totally, yeah. I mean, you really just want to sit tear down and slap him in the face and be yeah. like, dude, what is up? Yeah, like, chill <laughs> well, out, buddy. I, I agree with all that. I will say, in his defense, you know, this is the first, really the first time that we're seeing Wendy depict him, right? And I think, you know, this is Wendy we're talking about. She she knows what she's doing with character development. And I think what we're seeing, you know, th- these sort of annoying, irritating qualities that are coming across in Tear are are there deliberately because it's part of his journey. And I think we're going to see him evolve a lot as a character over the storyline. So who knows where he'll be at the end of all of this, but I think definitely now, you know, we're seeing him as sort of, again, this sort of, um, loose cannon, maybe, um, you know, inconsistent and overly emotional, uh, character that has a lot of growing to do. And, um, I think we're going to see it. So mm-hmm. I um, hope so. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I think we will, but uh, yeah, as it stands right now, he's just grading. Yep. <laughs> At least to me. Yeah. yeah. No, you're not alone. You're not alone. Um, I, I definitely get that, and others have have said that too. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, it's so hard to pick because there's so many things that I love in this issue. Yes. Um, so, well, speaking, well, actually, the uh, I'll keep it pretty simple. On, let's see, page one, it's the second page. At the bottom, um, it's when the Wolf Riders are gathering and deciding to go on a hunt. I, I would say my favorite part is Cutter, that picture of Cutter. That is classic Cutter right there. There's no question that that's not a classic Cutter, you know, um, and almost timeless Cutter. That, that's, you know, that's sort of classic Elf Quest Wendy drawn Cutter. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much all I have to say about it. Um, the, just the way that Wendy drew his face there, it's totally you know, a thousand percent on model and looks just exactly like Cutter should look. Definitely. Um, and the reason that that stands out, and this is maybe my, you know, I, I almost say this facetiously, but my least favorite part is Strongbow in the panel right next to it. Mm-hmm. 
there's something off or funny looking about his face in that panel. Really? It doesn't okay. look like Strongbow to me. Oh. He almost has this sort of goofy look. And I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm staring at it right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that his eyes aren't as slanted as I think that they should be, or okay. as in my mind's eye that they should be. Right. Um, but there's just something about his expression in there that looks off to me. And yeah, so I'll use it's that as my so, least favorite thing. <laughs> it's okay. It's so amazing, though, how as fans, we are so. Um, we have such a connection to these characters and what they look like that we we know instantly when they feel off or they don't look right to us. Yeah. There's just something, and you can't even necessarily place your finger on it, but there's just something where it doesn't, and it doesn't happen often. But uh, in this case, I, I do see what you're saying. There's something maybe slightly off about his expression. Well, well and, and you know, it's also, it's not, it's not even that it's, it's not to say that it's badly drawn. No. Or that it isn't, it isn't Strongbow, right? Because Wendy right. drew it. So guess what? It's Strongbow. That's Strongbow, But yeah. there's, there's, there is a look that. Says Strongbow to you. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's it's like it's I'm what I was trying to say with Cutter. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times where Cutter, his face might look slightly different, and and Wendy, whatever she did in drawing that panel of Cutter, to me, just totally nailed it. It's it's Cutter like a thousand percent. Right. Um, now, if you look at the at the third page, and when you see Strongbow kind of on Wolfback running yes. and he's sending to Moonshade, mm-hmm. that's Strongbow. Yeah. But if you, I don't know, just. I think it really is the eyes. I think there's something about his eyes in this panel on page two mm-hmm. that just look a little bit different to me. And okay. it doesn't it doesn't scream strongbow character, face, facial structure the same way that Cutter does right next to it. So, right. yeah, just a nitnoid detail that I'm picking on. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I really love the episode or the issue. <laughs> there I go again, confusing issues <laughs> and episodes. Um, oh, oh I, I do have one more thing to add. Yes. In the category of love. Yes. Um, and it's the scene where Tears getting all sappy and goo goo eyed, um, talking to Ember, and she's kind of like brushing him off, and he's kind of holding her from behind. Mm-hmm. Look, and this is really subtle. I didn't notice it until I looked at the issue a few times. Okay. Look at their skin tones. Yeah. It, it's so subtle. But if you recall, when Wendy did the Love Mates calendar and she illustrated Tear for the first time. Yes. She depicted him as fairly pale skinned, and a lot of people were like, "Wait, I thought Tier had brown skin, as brown as Ember." Right. And Wendy's comment back then was, "I envisioned Tier sort of as like a tanned, like an olive skinned, like a tanned olive skin." Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you know the Sunfolk and Ember um, are a little bit more richer brown than that, just from you know generations living in the desert. And I think Sunny nailed it so hard. With the way that he colored the two of them, yes, they're both brown skinned, but mm-hmm. there is a subtle difference between Ember's skin tones and Tirzin's skin tones, and I think that he got the 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 tanned olive skin, like a Mediterranean skin tone, yes, perfectly. I agree. Yeah, I can see so. it there now that you pointed that out. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah again that's Sunny, right, and his uh, amazing coloring ability. Yeah, yeah, and I also love Tears super anime looking face in that first panel on that page too look uh, at his eye oh yeah yeah that's totally totally anime looking tear well you know when you were talking about moonshade before too and how beautiful you thought she was i was thinking mm-hmm. how much of an anime character uh she looks she's the most anime looking of all the elves uh, yeah I, I i think so too um she's just got those big purple eyes and mm-hmm. yeah so even her facial yeah. structure too 
It's yeah. very much like that triangular kind of mm-hmm. anime, typical anime type. Yeah, it's interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, wow, this has been a monster episode. Cool. Yeah. Two <laughs> I hours went into and this thinking minutes. we've only got what twenty 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 one pages to get through. This one we're gonna breeze through. Yeah. And um yeah. Well we spent forty minutes talking about, you know, comments and reminding people to send their comments to Dark Horse and talking about the letters pages. So that ate up a bunch of time. And I, I and I want to be able to do that stuff. I, I want to be able to yeah. yeah. But I'm wondering if maybe we should do that as separate episodes. We could, but I think I like having it that like like maybe the first quarter or third of the episode be about you know that stuff and then and then leading into and building up to the actual discussion mm-hmm. and and I'm thinking what if we do an experiment and we put this episode up in its full entirety sure and let people react to it and see if they like the broken you know broken out into hour 15 minute you know, sort of segments and have the conversation just kind of cut off and then they have to go on to the next one. Or if they're willing to sit through a really long episode like this and really get the full discussion in one, when one fell swoop. Okay. You want to do that and yeah, just see how, how people react? Absolutely. Cause I, I'll say this. I know that I listen to some other podcasts mm-hmm. and I, and I happily sit and listen to a three hour podcast. Yeah. It might take me a few sittings. Mm-hmm. I, I usually listen to when I'm in the car, um, yes, commuting and stuff too. like that. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm on a plane, right. but, um, you know, maybe maybe people will will be okay with listening to a longer one, and then that way you you don't have to do as much work editing it into two, and then um, and again it wouldn't cut off sort of unnaturally, and then pick up at the end or pick up in, right in the middle for the second episode. Sure. So yeah, I think that's worth a shot. We'll uh, we'll try it out and see what the response is. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. All right, cool. So folks, if you're um, still listening to this, let us know what you think. Um, once you get through all the way to the end of this one, and we'll um, when we post it and promote it on social media, we'll 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 deliberately make note of the fact that this is a really long one, and we want people to react and let us know how what what their preference is. Please let us know. Yes, as usual, let us know in the comments, mm-hmm. everywhere, right. Facebook, forums, SoundCloud. Speak to us. Yes, all of it. Mm-hmm. We will um, we will definitely be following up and reading all the comments anywhere you post them. So. Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, with that, we are going to wrap, and we will talk to you guys next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. And you can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcasts or any other multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussion on the official forums on ElfQuest.com on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water. <laughs>